Hello and welcome to the Samuel and Manuel Movie Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sam Ryan. And I'm Manny Manuel. Welcome back to episode three of the View Universe rewatch miniseries, whatever you want to call it. Uh, we are talking about Chasing Amy here today. Uh, we've been having a lot of fun actually talking about the Kevin Smith films. Uh, most fun of all had, arguably, of the two weeks that we've had, <laughs> arguably the most fun last week when we had friend of the show, Chards, back on to talk about Mallrats. Thanks a lot, Chards, uh, for coming back on and making that a good time. Yeah, thank you, Michael. It was, uh, that was weird to call you Michael. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that was strange. <laughs> yeah. Th- thank you, Mike Chardulo, for joining us yet again. Uh, every time you're on is an absolute joy. Uh, the episode ran way longer than what I was anticipating. Yeah, how long was it again? Just over three and a half hours, I yeah. think. Yeah. I keep I keep thinking with these uh, US Universe movies, I'm like, eh, we're not going to have a lot to talk about. And then so far, I think we're two for two on long episodes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So we'll see how tonight goes. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Chards, having you on, uh, always a delight. It was a lot of fun, as always. And it was, uh, I look forward to the next one, which appears to be fairly soon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As long as uh, things go according to plan. Yeah, as long as as long as we decide that he's allowed back on. Yeah, very true. As very long, true. It, it is ultimately up to us. Uh, so moving from uh, charge to our other podcast guest, it's time for Maya's movie moment. About as far away from charge as you can get. Yes, thankfully. Hello and welcome to Maya's movie moment. I'm Manny Manuel. I am Maya. How you doing, sweetheart? Good. Good. Well, we're here yet again. All about you. You saw a new movie. With my dad. With me, yeah. We went to the movie theaters. We watched the new Paw Patrol. We saw the new Paw Patrol movie, that's right. Is it better than Space Jam? Is it your new favorite movie? They're tied. They're tied. All right. So they're both 100 out of 100? Yeah. All right. Same ones. 99, though. 99? Yeah. All right, so it went up from last week, because last week it was 89. Oh, yeah. So now Sailor Moon's gotten even better since last week? Yeah. All right. Because um, I've almost done my season. Okay. Of, of the shows. Okay, so the I show think... has made the movie better? Yeah. Yeah? So, yeah. Okay. Okay, well, that's good to know. My favorite part is, is when... Um, of, of which part? Is from the new Paw Patrol? Oh, we're not there yet. Oh, sorry. That's okay. That's okay. All right. So we really enjoyed the new Paw Patrol movie. Yeah. Uh, Who is your favorite character? Um... It's a hard question. uh, It's great for the podcast. I would say... Probably. Wow. I don't know, actually. Wow. They're I, all my favorites. They're all your favorites. Even Mayor Humdinger. Even Mayor Humdinger. Even the bad guy is he's, your favorite. He's funny. Okay. All right. So everyone is your favorite. All right. Yeah. Should I answer these questions, too, since I saw it? Yeah. My favorite character is Marshall. Yeah, you told me that. <laughs> I know. But I didn't tell the podcast that. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know that. I know that. And I do like Chase. Chase was a uh, Chase had a, a, a pretty big part. Don't spoil it. I'm not spoiling it, my love. I only get to spoil it. Only you. Oh, okay. Yeah, only me. Uh, what was your favorite part of my the movie? My favorite part is when um, I had I have two. Two. Okay. 
Uh, my favorite, my two favorite parts. My first is when Mayor Humdinger's pants fall down. Okay. It's like you, with your pants on your face. Go get me a new pair of pants. Um, and my other favorite is when he, um, is when his hat flies away, and then he said, "I lost my top hat." And then these guys who are helping him say, "Here you go, boss." And give him a new hat. I know it's pretty cool. Yeah, and they always fight. They do always fight, don't they? I'm the alpha of these dogs. No, I am. Yeah, and they have little slap fights. Yeah. That's yeah, pretty funny. Uh, my favorite part, there's two of them. My favorite part is the top hats as well. Every time Mir Humdinger would lose his top hat. Uh, his... I like how he's bald. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and the um, news reporter. <laughs> news reporter was funny too. My other favorite part uh, is when Chase jumps across from one building to the other. It's a pretty epic moment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had Twizzlers at that moment. Sorry? I said I had a licorice at that moment. You did have licorice. Well, speaking of licorice, what's your favorite snack to eat at the movies? Like at the movie theater? At the movie theater, yeah. Uh, I always get licorice. Always get licorice. Nothing else but licorice. Yeah? You had a lot of popcorn, too. Yeah. Okay. Bye. <laughs> um, we finally solved one of the uh, burning questions we've had. We finally got the definitive answer, didn't we? Of what? What's your mom's favorite movie? Oh, I asked her, and it's me and my dad were both right. Yep. It's Dirty Dancing, and it was Little Mermaid. That's right. All right. Still don't know what my other dad's favorite is. Yeah. He told you. Did but he I forgot. But you forgot it. So we're going to have to. Ago. Yeah, so we'll uh, we'll have to uh, we'll ask have to ask him. him again. Now, you're not going to be back on the podcast for a little while because um, I might not be back for three weeks. Yeah, it's going to be a little while because you're very busy. Your mom is getting married next weekend. Yes, and my cousins might save her for two yeah, weeks. Yeah, and your cousins are coming to visit, so we might not be we, we might might not be seeing each other for a little while. So. Yeah. Is there anything you'd but like? But they might not stay two weeks. I don't really even know. Yeah, we don't know. We don't have an answer yet. We're just, but we're just letting everyone that listens to yeah. the podcast know that. You're... But I do know they're coming. Okay. Is, is would you like to say anything before we say goodbye? No. Nope. No, you're good. You don't want to impart any wisdom upon the listeners or anything like that. No. No. Okay. Oh, and I really like the part when Marshall was dancing and he fell. That well, that was funny too, wasn't yeah. it? Okay, well, I guess we'll say goodbye. Thank you for listening to Maya's Movie Moment. I'm Manny Manuel. I am Maya. Adios. Bye. There we go. <laughs> and that was that. How was Paw Patrol, Manny? How, what did you think of it? Uh, we can get to that. I'll be talking about it in what we've been watching. Okay. Or, or we can discuss it now. No, that's fine. Like? That's fine. We can, uh, we can get to that. Okay. Um, I am... It, so we had Sailor Moon for six weeks. I thought we were turning over a new leaf. I thought we were in a new era of the Maya's movie moment where she actually might have a consistent movie. But but uh, last week, Space Jam overtook uh, Sailor Moon for uh, the her, her favorite movie. And this week, we even have uh, Paw Patrol tying it. Yes. In an unexpected turn of events. Yeah. Yeah, I'm... Uh... Well, I'm actually not that shocked because she was a huge fan of Paw Patrol. Mm-hmm. I was actually shocked it was her idea to go to the movies. I did I, I thought she was kind of past Paw Patrol cuz we don't ever watch it right. anymore. So 
I think I casually mentioned that there was a Paw Patrol movie and her eyes like lit up. Really? And I was like, did you want to go? And she's like, yeah. And I was like, okay, I guess we'll go see it. Uh-huh. And she, yeah, she loved it. Really? Obviously. Yeah. I have never seen an episode of Paw Patrol, so I don't really know what demographic it's aimed at. I, just, uh, I, I mean, I have to assume young. But. Yes. I'm going to tell you this. Like, Paw Patrol, it is really good for a show that is aimed at a very young, like, it's for very young children. Mm-hmm. And it's not annoying to watch. The thing I always enjoyed and always wanted to give credit to Paw Patrol and their creators for is that while um, there is a villain, Mayor Humdinger mm-hmm. is his name, he's never evil in any way. And most of the episodes, not the movie, but the episodes are just about the Paw Patrol like solving little problems. And I don't even want, like, I don't even want to say crimes, like just bad i don't even want to say bad things solutions to problems yes it they're not they're not in constant battle with some villainous organization they're just there to help everybody with thing when things go wrong like these one episode these monkeys escape from this circus train and so they have to track them down the monkeys are just causing problems in the city they're not being evil monkeys they're just creating a little bit of mess and stuff like that Mm -hmm. and the paw patrol tracks them down it's a it's a show about just solving problems, not about defeating bad people. Not like antagonizing anyone. Yeah. yeah. And Mayor Humdinger is a very low-key villain. He's not He's not evil. He's just mm-hmm. annoying and dumb. Hmm. Yeah. The movie itself, he... Uh, you, I can't, you can't even say he's evil. He... They... Mm, do we want to get into this, I guess, right now? I guess we can. We're here. Whatever. Okay. We'll talk about it. In Paw Patrol, the movie, the Paw Patrol TV show takes place in this fictional place called Adventure Bay. Okay. The movie takes them to Adventure City. So it's a it's a big city. And somehow, well, they don't say, how did they do it? Whatever. Mayor Humdinger gets elected mayor of Adventure City. And he is a complete narcissist. He's all about himself. Mm-hmm. So he does all these things to just highlight himself, which cause problems in the city. So one of the things he wants is during his, like, I think it's his inauguration. Inaugur- inauguration? Inauguration. I was having trouble with that. Why was that? Yeah, fine. Anyways, he wants it to be sunny. He doesn't want any rain. So he finds out that these scientists have this machine that sucks up clouds to uh to do research on them and what he does is he gets con- he just literally takes control of this thing and sucks up all the clouds so it will always be sunny in adventure city Uh-oh. but this machine just doesn't stop sucking up clouds and so it eventually reaches a, a boiling point it's sucked up like all these rain clouds and eventually can't hold them all and then it leaks and ex- lets all these storm clads out and creates like a super storm mm-hmm. right mayor humdinger didn't do it on purpose he just wanted it to be sunny in the city all the time so he's not an evil he's not he's just an evil. inept yeah incredibly inept. <laughs> so well from what i understand there's multiple gags involving him losing articles of clothing in one way or another yes and yes both 
pants and top hat. Yes, he is always wearing, he's dressed in purple. Okay. And uh, always has a top hat and uh, a, uh, a, a, like a tuxedo coat. The, is it the same kind of coat that the Monopoly man I, wears? In it's, my it's, head, it's, as you're talking about him, I'm picturing the Monopoly man dressed in purple. Yeah, it's, it's pretty close. Yeah. It's pretty close, except, uh, like, does the Monopoly man's coat have two tails? I feel like it does. I, I want to say yes. He's very old-timey. Okay, but Mayor Humdinger does. He's okay. got. He's always it like in this kind of like purple tuxedo, and uh, yeah, his his top hat gets stolen or wrecked or blown away and stuff like that. And there is a recurring gag where his two main minions, two main uh, thugs. Ooh, every, thug is a yeah, harsh word. Yeah, they yeah. they are definitely. I shouldn't use the word thug because when she was saying how they. Are always the two of them are always fighting. When they fight, it's that slap fighty. Yeah, like the two hands are oh, slapping each yeah. other. So there's not a lot of there's n- not a lot of violence uh, in the Paw Patrol movies. So it was. I won't lie. When she said she wanted to go, I was like, Ugh. while the Paw Patrol show is oh tolerable in its 20, 20 minute increments. I wasn't sure if I could be able to sit through an hour and a half of it. Uh, and I can flat out tell you right now, I had no problem sitting through it because the animation was upgraded considerably. Right on. The um, <clears throat> One of the moments I said is uh, the moment where Chase jumps from one building to another. Sam, it is exquisitely shot. Really? <laughs> I was sitting in my seat like... Jaw drop, like, like what the fuck? I'm like, what? The serious <laughs> fuck am I watching? And I look at my daughter, and I was like, I almost want to say, I'm like, is this for real? It's it's it was really. It, it, Did you and Maya have a lengthy discussion about the cinematography after it was? I on? wanted to talk about the cinematography. I won't lie. <laughs> um, also, what they really did a good job of. Um, I know you have no uh, knowledge or history with Paw Patrol, uh, but Chase is kind of the main like the de facto protagonist the, the, the de facto leader of the paw patrol mm-hmm. there's there's five dogs and then there's the human that it kind of runs the paw patrol his mm-hmm. name's Ryder. chase is kind of like the le- <coughs> oh sorry the leader of the dogs right and this movie really focuses on him a lot it kind of goes into it like his well it gets into his origin story which is never oh, none shit. of their origin stories are ever well, I, I haven't seen all the episodes because I used to just throw it on. I'm like, Maya, watch this so I could... Did he you watch know. his parents get killed in front of him clutching a string of pearls? <laughs> I won't. <laughs> it's not far off. Yeah? Yeah. He, uh... It gets... It it got to the point where I was like, why am I feeling this way? <laughs> Did Paw Patrol make you feel things? It, the Paw Patrol movie made me feel things. Whoa. And I was impressed. I was impressed. Well done. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to cough again. And you know what? This is something that Pixar understood long ago, which is that you actually need to make movies that parents can enjoy because they're going to be the ones taking the kids to this thing. Yep. Like You still need to make movies that are appropriate for kids that are geared at adults, actually, is the way to do it. Yeah. The, the demographic for Paw Patrol is, I would say, 10 and under. There aren't... There aren't. This is not Pixar level. There's not a lot of jokes that the parents will get that the kids won't. Mm-hmm. It's not like that. But this is just a well-made kids movie that I found way better than I was ready for. That being said, like if you don't have kids, don't watch this movie. Like there's no reason 
for you to watch this movie if you don't have kids, but I gave this movie a three mm-hmm. because I sat through the 90-minute runtime completely entertained and never hoping that this movie would end quickly. And like I said, it had a, it had a couple pretty impressive cinematic moments that were, I was like, what the fuck? What? Rating? I gave it a three. You gave it a three? I did. Wow. Yeah. That is, that's like insanely high praise. Yeah. I think for this movie. Yeah. Not that I, I fully believe that it's justified. I trust your opinion as both a film goer and a, uh, the closest thing an adult can get to a Paw Patrol enthusiast, I think. Yeah. Um, wow. Three stars. Okay. I won't be checking it out. No, 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 no. This is like, I would like, if Maya said she wanted to watch this again, like I, I, if she wanted to go to the theater again, I'd be like, Oh, I don't really want to drop 35 bucks for us to go see this again. Mm -hmm. But like when it comes on Netflix or wherever it comes, if she said she wanted to watch it, I would have no problem sitting down and rewatching this. I, Flat out, have no desire to watch Space Jam Legacy. or Is that what it's called? Space Jam Legacy? Who even knows? I don't, I don't care. care. I'm yeah. desperately trying to find a way to make sure I don't watch it. Yeah. Um, I have not given my thoughts on the Sailor Moon movie yet because I haven't finished the second half. Right, which is appropriate, I think. Yeah, so I, I'll, I won't say anything there. Uh, I do need to watch the second half. I, I, really, need to, I really need to finish it because I, I want to give my thoughts on it. But... Yeah, the Paw Patrol movie, better than I thought. But again, if you don't have kids, there's no reason to watch this movie. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, there are su- surprisingly few shots of the Monopoly man from behind. So it's difficult to say if he has the tails on his tuxedo coat. Fair enough. There are a few shots where he's sort of like jumping in the air and the sides of his coat are flared out. Yep. Which kind of looks like he has some, some coat tails. But, okay. Uh, but I would... I would say probably yes, but TBD. Okay. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> okay. Uh, anything else on the Maya's movie moment? Was there any... Um, good that we got confirmation on Julie's favorite movie. I know. Um, I feel like I knew Chad's favorite movie a long time ago. Um, back when he and I used to work together. Hmm. Back in the day. I used, I used to know his favorite movie. And you don't know it, do you? No. Yeah. No. Him and I haven't really talked a lot about movies. When him and I talk, it's mostly MMA. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, like I was, when she, when Maya got the confirmation that Julie's favorite movie was Dirty Dancing and uh, Little Mermaid, I was like, okay, I'm like, I did, I was like, ninety nine percent sure, but that one percent down, I'm like, Jesus, I'm like, did I not remember my ex wife's favorite movie? Yeah. When we spent ten years together, I'm like, I should be able to remember that. Hmm. So the confirmation made me feel good. Yeah. It wouldn't surprise me to learn Chad's favorite movie is like Die Hard or something. That feels that feels right to me for some reason. I've, I I want to my my guess would be my guess is like a comedy. Yeah. Like I see him being a big like Anchorman kind of fan. Yeah, also very possible. I'm going to go with I'm my prediction is going to be Anchorman. Okay. I'll for get, some reason there's a voice in the back of my head that's like action movie. Like for some reason it's an action movie. Fair. But totally I can't remember, can't remember what. Could be action comedy. Could be. We don't know this. <laughs> We'll get the answers. Yeah, we will. I hope so. Me too. I'm waiting on the answer. I know. Maya's doing real shit as a job as a co-host. I, not sh- to, I don't want to. I don't want to talk shit about your daughter. But you know. Well, that fucking little bitch. I've been trying to get her to fucking get her job done. She's you know, not holding up her. She's been end. on this podcast for like three months. It's about time she started pulling some fucking weight. That's all G- I'm saying. Goddamn right. <laughs> You're fucking goddamn right. 
Fuck. Yeah. She does probably about as much work for this podcast as I do. Let's let's be real. <laughs> let's be completely honest here. Fair. Yeah. Fair. I, have, I have nothing else about it. Another good uh, Maya's movie segment. Um, unfortunate we won't get to see her for a few weeks. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sad. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really sad. Yeah. <laughs> you guys, you'll have to you'll have to make do with me. Ooh, you okay over there, Manny? No. Oh boy. Damn COVID. <laughs> um, okay, so we we already discussed uh, Paw Patrol the movie. Three stars. Uh, I finally, after years of putting it off, finally finished off a franchise where I hadn't watched the final film. Finally knocked it off. Finally finished the Die Hard franchise with A Good Day to Die Hard. I have not seen A Good Day to Die Hard. Uh, I remember at the time uh, a movie podcast that I once upon a time listened to. Um, one of their members was like the biggest. He was a Die Hard Die Hard fan. And uh-huh. he declared A Good Day to Die Hard his least favorite movie of all time because of what it did to the Die Hard franchise. So um, my preconceived notions about this movie are not positive. Manny, how did you feel about A Good Day to Die Hard? Well, Good Day to Die Hard. Uh, John McClane travels to Russia to help out his seemingly wayward son, Jack, only to discover that Jack is a CIA operative working undercover, causing the father and son to team up against underworld forces. I'm sure you can see the screen, but did you happen to see the Metascore? I didn't. I, okay. uh, I can see a red box from where I am. Damn it. I wish <laughs> you hadn't seen that. Yeah. It's a 28. Yeah. That's about appropriate. This movie is bad, Sam. It is devastating to watch this piece of shit. Bruce Willis is phoning it in. He is he is not John McClane. He is Bruce Willis in this movie. He doesn't do anything like Bruce like sorry, like with John McClane. He doesn't act like John McClane. He is yeah. I was so disinterested. This movie knocked off two things for me. It knocked off I got one franchise done that I hadn't finished, and it knocked off a movie I own that I hadn't seen. So I'm working towards finishing all the things that I want to finish. I won't lie, I wasn't paying attention at the beginning. <clears throat> His son, played by Jai Courtney. Jai Courtney, I think that's how you pronounce it. I believe you're correct. He uh, gets involved in some trouble in Russia and is arrested. And so John McClane goes to Russia to help for some reason. I don't know how he thinks he's going to help when his son's arrested. He's not a lawyer, but whatever. So he is literally going over there to help his son in some type of trial case. Shit ensues. One of the people that um, Jack uh, is in, on trial with, uh, they have a hit out again, or they're trying to capture him, so he helps him escape. There's a whole uh, attack on the uh, uh, at the courthouse in Russia to try and get this guy that, that, uh, that Jack is trying to protect, whatever. Like I said... John McClane goes to Russia to help his son. Goes there to help his son. 
yet there is a constant running joke that John McClane keeps saying, I'm on vacation. You're, you're, you're not. You're, you're not, not on vacation. vacation. Yeah. You were there to help your son. That's not a vacation. You didn't come to Moscow to check out the fucking sites. You came there to help your son. He is not acting. He is not doing anything that John McClane would do. This is a fucking travesty of a film. A travesty of a film. As bad as it is, I still gave it a two. That's Be- a little bit, little bit surprising. I expected a one. The it got it, it raised above the one. The one is really reserved for films that I completely dislike. Completely dislike. Well, and, I've yet and, to hear you say a positive thing about that. That's where I'm going with this. Okay. There are a couple action set pieces that are very entertaining. And some really cool camera moves, especially at the very end. Um, I don't give a shit if I fucking spoil it. I'm never going to watch this. Jack and John jump out this building. And the camera falls with them. So as they're falling through, the camera stays completely with them at the same level. So you watch them pass. The camera itself, it's obviously done digitally because the camera's passing through floors. Mm -hmm. But they jump out this building, so you're watching them from inside the building as they're falling outside the building. So you're watching them through the panes of glass as the the camera goes down. It's a really fucking cool shot. Mm. It's really fucking cool. And then they land in a pool of water and the the camera goes in the water with them. The whole time. It's a fantastic shot. Mm. And some action set pieces, especially the beginning, the attack on the courthouse and the escape... The car chase scene, really well done, really well shot. There was obviously a lot of money put in this, but this is not a diehard film. This is a, f- this is a fucking horrible movie. I gave it a two only because of how well the action is staged, but f- fuck me, I, I really should have given this a one, but it's a two. Avoid this movie at all costs. It will just hurt your heart to think that they slapped on the Die Hard label to this piece of shit film. I'm just trying. I'm trying to find. Oh, that's too bad. I, I wanted to. I wanted to play a game where I, I go um, better cinematography. Uh, Jonathan Sela for cinema for uh, a good day to Die Hard, or and I was gonna find the Paw Patrol cinematographer. But he's, <laughs> he's not listed on Wikipedia, unfortunately. But better cinematography, a good day to Die Hard, or Paw Patrol. Uh, the cinematography in A Good Day to Die Hard is good. Okay, it's really well shot. The act, like I said, the, some of the action set pieces are really well staged. Really, really well staged. Wow. Uh, but it's it's a piece of shit. It's a piece of shit. Mm. Please don't watch it. Okay. Will do. Awesome. Or will not do, I guess. Next up, uh, the other day, uh, actually, on we we had actually scheduled this for uh, a, a day earlier this week. Mm-hmm. Um, but thankfully, uh, we just couldn't make it work, and I needed an extra day. I needed to reset. Mm-hmm. And I really needed to watch something that was fun and enjoyable. I wasn't in the mood to watch something that I needed to invest in. So I didn't want to watch something new. I wanted to watch something that I knew what I would enjoy, but something I hadn't seen in a while. So I slapped on a franchise that I fucking love, and I watched Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. Cool. Uh, This is the one from 2011. Uh, This is the one directed by Brad Bird of The Incredibles. Oh, sick. Yeah. And The Iron Giant. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, The plot, the IMF is shut down when it's implicated in the bombing of the Kremlin, causing Ethan Hunt and his new team to go rogue to clear their organization's name. 
This movie is the famous one because this is where uh, Burj Khalifa, the Burj Khalifa. Yeah. I also watched the making of section of them doing the Burj Khalifa stunt. Just sweaty palms the entire time. There's a. Scene. <laughs> I, I was gonna say there's a scene, but it's a scene in the documentary. There's a shot as they're in between shots of outside the Burj Khalifa. And Tom Cruise is outside the Burj Khalifa, just sitting on the ledge, feet propped up. He's obviously harnessed in, but he's like 150 stories up, just fucking chilling. No fucking big deal. I'm outside the Burj Khalifa. It's unbelievable. This, every time I rewatch one of these, Sam, it reinvigorates my passion for us to do this as a miniseries. It's six movies long. I don't know if I want to dedicate almost two months to six straight action films, Mm -hmm. but every time I watch one, I'm like, fuck, I want to watch these with Sam. Mm. So maybe it might just be like, Sam, come over. We're going to do a Mission Impossible series. And just marathon it? Well, we could marathon it or like we could set aside. I'm like, Sam, on the nights we're recording podcasts, we're going to watch one Mission Impossible, then we're going to record, or we're going to record, and then we'll watch Mission Impossible, and then I'll take you home. That's a cool idea. So yeah. So, I'm, I I love these movies, and like I said, they just kind of keep getting better. Uh, one is really good. Two is not good. I really want to revisit two. Three is good. Um, that's uh shit. I can't remember his name. Fucking Star Trek Spielberg boy. Uh. Abrams? Abrams, thank you. J.J. Abrams. Cool. I'm like, J.P. I'm like, why is that? I've got J.P. So J.J. <laughs> Abrams, <coughs> number one is Brian De Palma. Brian De Palma does the first one. Fantastic director. Mm-hmm. Number two is John Woo. Also, yeah. Of, of face-off fame. Of face-off fame. <laughs> number three is J.J. Abrams. Number four is Brad Bird. That's so, that's crazy and, and that this has a reputation as being a great franchise and there's different directors for each one so far. Sorry, I didn't mean to yeah, cut you off. Number no, no. five. Yeah, and five and six are Christopher McQuarrie. Wow. Yeah. They just continue, like like I said, one is good. It's really good. Two, not so great. Three, very good. Four, so good. Five and six, phenomenal. Mm. Like six is so fucking good. Um, the stunt work, the, when you watch this, Sam, like it's one of the reasons that I'm, I'm really interested in watching these with you. Cause I know that you're a James Bond fan, right? I am a fan of the Craig Bonds. Yes. Um, I don't know how many other James Bond movies I've seen. I think I've seen one of the Sean Connery's. I've maybe seen one of the Pierce Brosnan's, but um, yeah, I definitely enjoy the Daniel Craig Bonds. Okay. These are like that except better. Yeah. <laughs> these are like that except better. Uh, I, I'm I'm just a huge fan of these. Uh, this was a four for me, for cool. sure. It's a fucking amazingly fun. And also, one of the other reasons I know you like these is that Simon Pegg is in them. And yeah, he's, I do like Simon Pegg. He's really fun mm-hmm. and having a great time in these. These are so well crafted. The action scenes are jaw dropping. The action scenes are jaw dropping because you know that Tom Cruise is doing the stunt. Like when you see the Burj Khalifa stunt, you're just like, you're like holy! This man is outside of the Burj Khalifa. That's yes, insane. <laughs> and the things he does, you're just like, fuck you, Tom Cruise. Yeah, yeah. And some of the other things he does, well, 
Are there any? No, there's no other. No, there's not any other really crazy stunts. But yeah, I would I would really love to watch this series. From my you. understanding, there's at least one <coughs> batshit crazy stunt with Tom Cruise per Mission Impossible movie. Yeah, except for the the last one, Fallout. Uh-huh. There's like ten. <laughs> <laughs> Just they're like, well, we know what the people want, so yeah, like oh. Mission Impossible. Is, is Fallout the one where he's hanging off the side of the plane? No, that's five. That's oh, Ghost okay. Protocol. Oh, okay. Because yeah. that's that's another insane stunt, isn't it? A <laughs> L- little bit. A little bit. Reason, wow, that's that long ago, hey? Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Mission Impossible, Ghost Protocol, four to five. Easy four to five. Yeah. Like, an absolute slam dunk. Absolute fucking fun movie. I guess it's easy to be fearless when you don't have any thetans residing in you. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all I have to say about that. It's a good call. It's a good call. <laughs> uh, the last movie I watched, I decided to, uh, again, I wanted to knock off a movie I own. I have seen this movie before, but I haven't seen it in a long time. It is, if I'm not mistaken, uh, could you actually, as I'm talking, would you mind checking to see, the movie I'm talking about is The Wild Bunch. Would you mind checking to see, I'm pretty sure it's on the AFI Top 100. Sure. Can you check for me? Um, the Wild Bunch uh, 1969 Western. Uh, an aging group of outlaws look for one last big score as the traditional American West is disappearing around them. Oh, quick cough here. Uh, the film was ranked 80th in the American Film Institute's 100 Best American Films and the 69th Most Thrilling. Okay. So it's, and that's, 80, the, that's, the, that's the 2007 list? That is the, oh, sorry, that's the 1998 list. So the okay. 2007. It might not have made the cut on the new list. Uh, 79. Okay, so, so it's almost that... almost the same spot. Okay, so this movie I was really excited to rewatch it. I hadn't seen it probably in about twenty years. This is one of the movies when I became a film fan. I heard this is one of the ones I should watch, so I I, I sought it out, and I bought the Blu-ray years ago. And like I said, my goal this year is to watch all the Blu-rays that I either haven't seen or need to revisit. And if you turn around, you can see all the ones I've pulled out. Those are all the ones I need to watch. Look at you with a system. I know. Yes. So there's quite a few. And I just got to double check because every once in a while I find one. I'm like, I haven't watched that one yet. I, I just looked at this one movie. I'm yeah. like, you've seen this, but it's Beaches, not The Beach. Yeah. <laughs> beaches. Uh, which I have seen Beaches, but probably, again, not in over 20 years. Yeah, there you go. Uh, so The Wild Bunch is, to give you an idea as well, uh, it's a 97 Metascore. Yeah, so pretty good yeah it's not too bad it's okay i'm i'm a big fan of westerns and what this is is this is kind of like the end of westerns what it means is that this movie is about how this movie i think is film set during like uh the early 1900s like 1915 it's around the start of world war one good guess 1913 1913 so the old west is going away as the world is becoming more industrialized and it's about these guys holding on to that lifestyle and not really realizing that the world is going to pass them by mm. and overtake them and they stick to this code that you got to stick by your brothers no matter what it's incredibly violent for its time this was <clears throat> hailed as one of the most violent movies ever put to film at that time. Nowadays, it's 
fairly tame to what we've seen. But if you can put yourself in the context of a movie never being quite this violent, the special effects don't hang up, uh, don't hang up, don't hold up in regards to that <clears throat> when someone is shot, um, the blood doesn't look like blood mm-hmm. at all. Uh, probably to probably get around the sensors at the time to make it more realistic. But nowadays it, it just kind of looks a little bit more fake. But it's a really well-told story. It is very well acted. My biggest complaint about this movie is that they definitely, the the director, Sam Peckinpah, who I think has a history of being a bit of an asshole, uh, had little to no regard for any animal safety in this movie. Oh, really? Yes. You can definitely tell that the, a lot of horses were definitely mistreated. There are a lot of stunts that you don't see how they could pull it off without the horse getting hurt. Hmm. And there is one in particular where while it appears no horse got hurt during it. It could have resulted it, in such. Yeah, I'm not going to reveal what it is because it's actually a pretty big plot point. It's kind of like maybe one of the big action set pieces of the film. It's kind of one of the famous parts of the movie, so I don't want to give it away because it, it is kind of like a exciting moment. But when you see it happen and you see these horses in the middle of it, it is a breathtaking shot, but at the same time you're like, uh, those horses could have died. So it's a little hard to watch at that at times, but the rest of it, really well done. Uh, a very entertaining movie. I gave it a three. Oh, wow. Because w- it just didn't resonate with me as much as I was hoping it would. I don't see myself revisiting this Western very often. I would rather rewatch Unforgiven. Or maybe even like 310 to Yuma or something like that. So uh, a, a really great film. I can understand. I 100% can understand the praise it gets. Just not for me. Hmm. Uh, Paws combative personality marked by his years of alcohol and drug abuse affected his professional <laughs> legacy. Many of his films were noted for behind-the-scenes battles with producers and crew members, damaging his reputation and career during his lifetime. Some of his films, including Major Dundee, Straw Dogs, The Getaway, Garrett and Billy the Kid... Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia and Cross of Iron remain controversial. Controversial. My goodness, we're both struggling with our words today. Uh, Yeah, that's Wikipedia right there. Um, Nothing about animal abuse in there, but uh, I mean, that's just from the first couple of paragraphs, so I assume it's in there. I can tell you right now, though, Sam, like, if you get a chance, like, if you do get a chance, Mm -hmm. and eventually we will because you and I are planning to chip away at the AFI. For sure. If you get a chance to watch this, I, I completely recommend it. It's just the reason it's not a four is I wasn't entertained enough. I wasn't entertained enough to give it a four, and I didn't see enough um, technical prowess in this movie to elevate it above the three rating. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, totally. Awesome. Uh, your description of it, though, uh, does have me intrigued. Like, I'm, I'm surprised to hear you give it a three, not because it's rated highly or anything like mm-hmm. that, but because... Your description of it sounds like the sort of heady stuff that we're into of of these men who are like the last 
the last bastion of a bygone era, mm-hmm. trying to clutch onto something that they that doesn't even exist anymore. Yep, like that just sounds like something I would be interested in, I, something you would be interested. I in. I think I think you would really like it. Yeah, I think it could perhaps just be the it was I wasn't in the mood for that at that time. Totally, it, maybe if I do give it a rewatch, I could end up giving it a higher rating. Mm-hmm. Um, the ninety-seven Metascore, I completely understand why it has it. Mm-hmm. I think for me, the three is an entertainment mark, more totally. of a, a merit mark. Okay, cool. That's what I've been watching. Uh, I, on the other hand, had a relatively uh, busy week outside of film, so yet again, I I found myself not watching too much. However, uh, I have kind of been going through this for a while now and have refrained from talking about it just because it's something I've talked about on the show so many times, but I am in the middle of a BoJack Horseman (laughs) rewatch, as always. Now I see why you wanted to talk about what you've been watching. Yeah, exactly. So before we came on, he's like, you sure you want to talk about, like, if it's only a TV show? I'm like, yeah, I'm going to want to talk about this. (laughs) But every time I talk about BoJack Horseman, I do try to talk about something new because it's my favorite TV show of all time. I'm inevitably going to wind up repeating myself, so I at least want to keep it a little bit fresh. I I tried to come up with some perspective both for myself and for you because I think this show is a brilliant work of art. Um, So I tried to invoke two things that you and I are both passionate about, Breaking Bad and statistics. So So I was just trying to assemble briefly. (coughs) Manny, would you agree... IMDb is a pretty pretty good source as far as movie quality, at least better than uh, than Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, I I uh, don't bother. With, and, I, I do not bother with Rotten Tomatoes. And I mean, even as far as TV is concerned, the rating system's a little flawed, but it's at least somewhat uh, something of a good indicator. I've never really. This is my this is my problem with using uh, the ratings for the TV shows. Mm-hmm. Is as an example. Uh, what's it? What? Ah, shit! I can't think of one off the top of my head. So let's just. I'm just gonna. I'll, I'll just grab a random. Oh, that one's too popular. I need something like uh, The Walking Dead. Okay. The Walking Dead, popular show. Now, as we go along, I personally like. As we're as we're doing these, what we've been watching, I'll have the movies that I've been watching, uh, up on IMDb, and I will rate them, on, tonight. So like. When we did the Wild Bunch, IMDb does rank him out of 10. I don't give half points, so the Wild Bunch got a 6 out of 10 for me. Right. TV shows, I don't go in and do that. But I feel that the rating system on TV shows, uh, are there meta scores? No, it's uh, it's star ratings. So, so it's it, like, it's, it's and it uses uh, decimals as well. So it's like your least, your least favorite kind of rating because uh, it's... Uh, you can get like a nine point one out of ten, for instance. I, I don't know. That's that's not the thing. the The star ratings are those are user ratings. Perhaps you no, not perhaps okay, they are. Yeah. Okay, they are. All right, because you can see it right here. Yeah, on Chasing Amy. Okay, fine. It's the IMDb rating. So this is this is everybody that's rated it, mm-hmm. not critics. That's a that's a that's a viewer rating. Well, that's surprising to me. So, I mean, I believe you, but it's surprising to me. So what that is, the reason that it's, I, I don't put a lot of stock in it for TV shows, mm-hmm. is that if I was to what, what's a I'm trying to think of a TV show I gave up on. I can't even think of one. Let I'll, I'll pretend like Lost. Yeah. Let's say I watched the first season. I'm like, this isn't for me. Mm-hmm. So I would have, and if I'd been adamant about it, I would have rated each of the. Is it 24? Yeah, it's a, it would have a network show, so it would have been 24 episodes. I would have ranked all 24 episodes of season one 
But I didn't go beyond that. Mm -hmm. So I didn't rank the other ones because I didn't like it. Because I didn't like the show enough to go on. So the people ranking it are the only people watching it. If somebody doesn't like a show, they're not going to watch the whole series. Yeah, that's true. So you're on, you're you're only going to get people that like the show rating the show. Whereas in movies, it's a one sitting. It's two hours, three hours max. You're going to get people that didn't like the show rate it still. Mm. That's my only problem with TV show ratings is because the, the, the vast majority, I would say about 90% of those ratings are people that like the show. That's my only problem with it. That does, that, I'm, not, I'm not saying that's a bad thing because if people like it and they give it a high mm -hmm. rating, mm -hmm. it's going to be really good because you're a fan of the show. Mm -hmm. Right? Yep. So that's just my opinion. As always, Manny, I am reluctant to admit that you are bang on with your analysis. <laughs> <laughs> and unfortunately, it fucked me a little bit <laughs> in doing so. Um, all I was going to say about yeah. this is I just wanted to use a, a loose metric even before we got started on here today. I just briefly threw together um, a show that you and I both really like is Breaking Bad. I was trying to find how many episodes of Breaking Bad got a nine and a half or higher on IMDb. That I would consider to be like a masterpiece level episode, yeah. at least in the eyes of the viewing public. So nine and a half or more, Breaking Bad has 13 episodes that achieve a nine and a half or better, which is insane. That's 20% of the entire episode or of the entire show has a nine and a half or better. Yep. Um, Bojack Horseman is not quite on that level. It only has... Uh, 9% of its episodes are 9.5 or better, which is still pretty damn good, especially when comparing it to Breaking Bad. So that's 7 of the 77 episodes of Bojack Horseman have a 9.5 or better, which I would consider to be a masterpiece level episode. However, what I wanted to point out is that none of those are in the first season, and that comes back to what I've been saying about this show for so long, which is that this is one of those shows where a lot of people give up on it mm -hmm. in the first season. Um, I obviously am not one of them because I've seen it several times, but... Um, I the highest ranked episode by uh, by star rating in uh, BoJack Horseman um, that came from season one is all the way down at number thirteen. So of the seventy seven episodes, the thirteenth high or the highest ranked one from season one is number thirteen. Mm -hmm. So um, I think that or there is an indication of just like I think season one of the show is pretty damn good, but it's it's not until the later episodes like um, again to use Breaking Bad as a comparison, Ozymandias. This is why I was so surprised that this is, this, this is an audience rating. It has a 10. It has an even 10 out of 10 on uh, on IMDb. That is absolutely wild to me that an audience rating, it can have a perfect score. Uh, because you would think there would be at least one person who doesn't like that brilliant piece of art. <laughs> that <laughs> but, person would be an idiot. Yeah, that person would absolutely be an idiot. Um, conversely, BoJack Horseman, top rated episode, comes in at a mere 9.9. Uh, the view from halfway down uh, in, in season six is a uh, breathtaking episode. Um, I can see you uh, trying to <laughs> trying to do your own investigation on it. Ozymandias, what a fantastic episode. That's incredible. Yeah. I was just wanted, I wanted to see how many people rated it. It's 144,000 people. 144,000 <laughs> people. And it's got a perfect 10. Yeah. <laughs> um, Shit, I, that's that's within a rounding error, though. Because, like, like, obviously... Every single one of those 144,000 people didn't rank it a 10. Yeah. Yeah. I'll check something else out. Um, I guess I should make this somewhat about Bojack, Bojack Horseman and the content in it. Probably a good idea. <laughs> um, here, let me navigate back to the page. I wonder if they have a synopsis of the show. Um, 
Yeah, let's see. Bojack Horseman was the star of the hit television show Horsin' Around in the 80s and 90s. But now he's washed up, living in Hollywood, complaining about everything, and wearing colorful sweaters. Um, That's a pretty terrible description. Basically, the show is about a a former star of TV who's now washed up in his 50s. His career is completely dried up. And uh, he's trying to remain relevant while also staving off uh, the specter of alcoholism, drug abuse, and depression. Uh, It's is difficult for people to get into because it looks like the animated shows that you're used to, right? It look, it kind of looks like Family Guy or The Simpsons or Rick and Morty or, um, you know, Futurama. It kind of looks like those shows, but it really is a cut above in terms of maturity, in terms of the subject matter, and in terms of the execution. Um, this time around, uh, I really noticed the artwork in this show. The, the cinematography in an animated show in any animated show, should not be good. <laughs> it just shouldn't be. Uh, it should be an afterthought, really. Or at least that's how animators have kind of viewed this traditionally. Showrunners have thought, okay, we'll write the funny lines, get the funny character development, and then cinematography uh, can come afterwards. But especially in the later seasons of BoJack Horseman, there is some of the most beautiful artistry I have ever seen in a TV show. Uh, I just finished one of the episodes. It's the... Uh, the second to last episode in season five, uh, where the season really comes to a climax. There's a moment at the end of that, the very end of that episode, the closing shot just like elicits an emotion in me that I do not understand. (laughs) It just gets down to my guts and it's a shot just presented on screen without dialogue. And it is, it is breathtakingly gorgeous. Um, which is not something you should be able to say about an animated show, at least, at least the ones that have traditionally come. Um, I have a difficult time getting people to watch this show because the first season is just okay and it doesn't get to be what it's going to be until the end. Um, One of the things that makes Breaking Bad so great is that it continuously gets better right until the end and the ending is great. Um, I think BoJack Horseman does the exact same. The, The highest ranked episode in this show is also the second last episode of the show. Uh, I think Ozymandias is the third last episode of Breaking Bad, something like that. Highest ranked episode in Bojack Horseman is the second to last episode because it follows the same arc. It just gets better and better and better and better and better mm-hmm. right up until the end. So, uh, Manny, I'll implore you for the 900,000th time, please start watching the show so I don't have to be the only one talking about it. I need someone to nerd out to about this show. It's it, it's really good. Uh, it's really good. <laughs> Okay, me watching BoJack Horseman is not going to happen anytime soon. Okay. I haven't, I don't think I've said it on the podcast, but you're aware I just started The Sopranos. Yes. Mm-hmm. I had to because I own it. Mm-hmm. And That's I, fair. And I needed to get it done. So you're saying I just need to find a way to buy BoJack Horseman. On- <laughs> buy BoJack Horseman on Blu-ray and somehow slip it in my collection, then I'll be forced to watch it. The Sopranos is the only TV show I own that I'm going to make sure that I get done this year. Mm -hmm. I have a couple others. It's just too much of a time commitment for me to commit to that. Mm -hmm. But The Sopranos I've owned for a long time, it is widely considered the greatest TV show of all time. Is that true? Yes. Oh, I thought Breaking Bad. No. Oh, okay. Sopranos is usually considered number one. But most people, like, my understanding of The Sopranos is, yes, that it was an excellent TV show, uh, but... I feel like all the conversations I've heard about The Sopranos are... They inevitably result in disappointment in the ending. 
That's my understanding. That that's my impression. I guess would be the would be the thing. Let's take a look here. Greatest TV shows of all time. All right. So no. All right. Let's see here. Rolling Stone. That's the first one that comes up. And here's Stacker. Wealthy Gorilla. Never heard of them. That's well. That's and that's Empire Online. Okay. So Rolling Stone. Taking too long to load. Next up. 100 best TV shows. This is going to count. Oh, fucking God damn it. They have number. Please tell me number one's all the way down here. Hmm. That's number 18. Let's see. Oh, Jesus Christ. This is already, I'm already telling you right now, this list on, who am I on? Stacker. Number 16, all time is fucking Loki. Then Gravity Falls, 14. 13 is Fargo. 12 is Friends. 11, Twilight Zone. Oh, number 10, Batman the Animated Series. I like it already. Firefly, number 9. True Detective, number 8. Mm-hmm. Sherlock, 7. Avatar The Last Airbender, number 6. Sopranos is number 5. Rick and Morty, number 4. The Wire, number 3. Game of Thrones, number 2. Breaking Bad, number 1. Nice. Sweet. Never watched The Wire. Neither have I. That's yeah. high on my list. Yeah. Okay. Empire Cats Down, the greatest shows of all time. There's number Jesus. Okay, let's see if I can get down here in the bottom. Okay, number 10, Doctor Who. Nine, Lost. Eight, Buffy. Seven, The OA. Uh, then The West Wing. Friends, number five. Wire, number four. Sopranos, number three. Thrones, two. Breaking Bad, number one. Yep. Oh. Okay. Oh, what the hell is this? Oh, I, I got rid of Rolling Stone because it wasn't loading. So, yeah, so don't get me wrong. I'm happy to see... Breaking Bad, number one. IndieWire, I like them. Oh, no, that's the decade. Uh, all-time TV shows from Time. Time Magazine. Uh, oh, no, no. They don't have them ranked. Okay, so that doesn't work. IndieWire. Number 50, The Terror. Never fucking heard of it. All right, number 39. That's 39. Page one of four. Can I get to page four? Nope. Continue reading. Okay. Uh, let's see here. Sharp Objects. Handmaid's Tale. Twin Peaks. Gotta scroll down. <laughs> IndieWire. It's making you click. I know. <laughs> click everything. Better yeah. Call Saul, I've heard, is actually... People have told me... Not people. I shouldn't say people. Um, some critics have said that Better Call Saul is better than Breaking Bad. Oh, wow. I that's, know. That's high praise. I know. It makes me... Oh, Okay, nope. Okay. I've I for some reason I thought you had seen Better Call Saul. I saw the first half of the first season. Mm-hmm. Okay, here we are. Number I never even heard of number eleven. Okay. All right, here we go. Top ten. This will be the last list we look at. I apologize to everyone listening. Number ten is Atlanta. Nine Parks and Recreation. Good show. Not Eight? not the ninth best ever, but good show. Eight the Americans. I've heard that's really good. Yeah, me too, actually. Fuck, I need seven, to watch more TV. Seven is thirty rock. Wow, this list is very different. Very comedy heavy. Six is Veep. Five is Hannibal. Wow. Number four, Bojack Horseman. Fuck yeah, great list. Number three, Breaking Bad. Uh-huh. Number two, Fleabag. And number one's The Leftovers. Sopranos don't make the top ten. Wow. Okay. You would, you would like Fleabag too. It's quite good. I've heard time. it's good. Yeah. Um, yeah, so Sopranos is up there. It's usually from... And those are just the three top lists on a quick Google search. 
most of the time when I hear talk people talking about the greatest shows of all time, it's honestly between three. It's between The Wire, Sopranos, and Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. Those are the ones I hear the most. Between <laughs> between critics and people with, I this will sound super. Here shitty. comes the condescension. <laughs> yeah, here comes people with an informed Ooh, understanding. I love that. Not just my friends, mm-hmm. who I love and respect, except for T Bone. Um, <laughs> But like, I'm surprised Rachel wasn't the butt of that joke. Rachel's never recommended a TV show. I rarely ever hear her talk about TV. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah. yeah. And if she did, I wouldn't listen anyways. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. There you go. <laughs> no, it, it's when when it comes to oh shit, I don't even want to go down this road. Mm. When it comes to TV shows. I have to be very selective on the ones that I will watch upon recommendation. TV shows are a much bigger commitment than a movie. Mm-hmm. I can slap a movie on in one night and be done with it. Yeah, and if it's bad, it's not the end of the world. Yeah, I can sit through, you know, two, three hours of a bad... I, I fucking sat through... I sat through both Postman movies. Yeah, oh... Yeah. Yeah. And you've only sat through one. Yeah. I'm not going to be sitting through and the other. And the other one is worse and it's longer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You yeah. only watched it because it has Kev- Kevin Costner. You're fucking right. right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was that directed by Costner? No. Oh, okay. Directed by the same guy who did Waterworld. Wah, wah. <laughs> so when people, and I get it a lot, mm-hmm. people are constantly recommending TV shows to me. Constantly. And I have to remind them, I don't watch TV. Yeah. Neither do I really. I don't watch TV. And it's only because I have a passion for movies and I don't want to like, I'll be, I'll, I'll be flat out. I'm almost done the first season of Sopranos. I'm regretting my decision to watch it. Mm. I feel because of the commitment. Yes. I feel trapped watching the Marvel shows on Disney plus. There's no commitment because I'm watching them week to week. Mm -hmm. It's a half an hour. So I could just, Say The Sopranos is on TV and watch one episode per week. But then you're literally going to take years. Yes. And so I'm I'm having a hard time with it because I just prefer movies. And so I do plan on watching BoJack for you. A hundred percent. Yeah. That alone, I hope T-Bone's not listening, is going to piss him off because he is been trying to get me to watch three tv shows for years but that's that's if i may address t-bone if if you are listening that's your problem right there you got to be selective when recommending tv shows to people because of exactly what manny just said it's a fucking commitment i get tv recommendations too um i think if i'm not mistaken manny has recommended exactly one tv show to me ever that might that might well be the case and it's breaking bad yeah, because you've told me, hey, this show's good, and we've talked about a lot of TV shows, but I don't think you've ever implored me to watch a TV show except Breaking Bad. Correct. I can't think of another one. I've never recommended a TV show to anybody. You've talked to me many times about how much you like How I Met Your Mother, but I don't think the words, you need to watch How I Met Your Mother, have ever left your mouth. Nope. Nope. You need to be strategic about this shit. I don't think I... That, that I, I've recommended TV shows to you probably. I think I think I probably recommended 
Go ahead. I probably recommended both BoJack Horseman and Rick and Morty to you. Yes, you recommended Rick and Morty because... You, because I, because of your affection for Back to the yes, Future, which I'm, is kind of loosely based on I'm it. pretty sure I would like Rick and Morty. Mm-hmm. But honestly... There's actually a third one, but it's not really a TV show. It was a limited series. Oh, uh, Queen's Gambit? There you go. Yeah. Those are the only ones that's that you've a, ever recommended. That, and that's because it's a small commitment. And all of the ones that honestly are on that list, kind of small commitments. I think BoJack Horseman has the same number of episodes as Breaking Bad almost. Oh, no, that's not true. It's, uh, I think, hold on, I still have it pulled Yeah, up, but they're probably. short, aren't they? Exactly, yeah. yeah. It's 77 episodes, like, tw- they're, like, 25 minutes a year, like, sitcom length. Yep. Um, so it's, like, it's an easy commitment. I crushed the first season in a night. I think I think the first two se- my first watch of BoJack Horseman, season three, had just come out, and it's 12 episodes each, so 36 episodes at 25 minutes. I think I watched that in a week easy, because I just I, had nothing else to do. I do plan on watching BoJack Horseman. And I have Horseman no doubt. And I'm giving you but, the gears. We I both know. know how busy we both are. Yes. We're the only people who, <laughs> we're the only people that we know who spend this much time not only talking about movies, but scheduling movies that we're going to talk about and having so many commitments and so many simultaneous rewatches. We both know how busy we both are. Yeah. We get it. <laughs> this is going to be, this is a, a big roundabout way. And we, fuck, we are really talking a lot about this. What my question about Bojack is, I'm going to ask it now and I'll ask it again when I finally do start it. Yep. You've told me numerous times the first season is not the best. It's the hardest one to get through. Mm-hmm. So my question to you is this. At what point after season one am I allowed to bail? Uh, at what point after season one are you allowed to bail? Yes. Um, I think the first episode of season two is a really good indication of what direction the show is going in. Okay. I think there's a few there's a few gems in season one as well. Okay. I think, I mean, I don't expect you to remember this, but there's 12 episodes in season one. I remember episode eight is the first episode even though I was enjoying the show up to that point, episode eight is the first time I went, oh, there, there's something here. Okay. There's, there's something else going on. Gotcha. Um, it's, the first, it's the first time the show becomes a lot more serious, and it deals with some really serious subject matter. Um, and there's a, there's a monologue at the end of the episode where I'm like, holy fuck, <laughs> this is dark. And episode 11 goes that same direction as well. Um, and episode one of season two. So I think if after episode one of season two, you're really like, eh, I really don't see anything in the show. Bail. And seriously, I won't be upset. Done. On okay. on the record. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I'll I tell you this. After I'm finished The Sopranos, mm-hmm. I'll see when that fucking is. Yeah. Um, then BoJack will be the next series that I will look to start. Okay. All right reasonable no it's not a promise i know <laughs> it is a what's the word i'm looking for i can't think of the right word I'm not promising i'll i'll start it it's this is what i'll see it goes to the top of the consideration that's Fine. that's the commitment i'll give you okay okay done cool <laughs> all right that's what we've been watching yeah that's it <laughs> so much for this Boy. being a short episode yeah indeed all right, so let's get to why we are here, and that is the third film in the Viewers Universe series, Chasing Amy. Released April 18th, 1997, written and directed by Kevin Smith, starring Ben Affleck, Joey Lauren Adams, and Jason Lee. Has a meta score of 71. Uh, no Oscar wins because it had no Oscar nominations. That should probably be standard for the series. Mm-hmm. It had a budget of $250,000, and it grossed $12 million. 
a nice return on investment. Uh, the plot, Holden and Banky are comic book artists. Everything's going good for them until they meet Alyssa, also a comic book artist. Holden falls for her, but his hopes are crushed when he finds out she's a lesbian. Sam, you mentioned that you'd watched this film a long time ago. I think when you said you were about 11 years old. Yeah, that's my that's my best estimate at this current time. It's about 11 years old I saw okay. this movie. So it's we're looking at, what, 12 years later? Uh, I am 20. How old am I? 24 right so now. So 13 years later? Yeah, almost 25. So yeah, probably about 13 or 14 years later. Okay. So why don't you give us your thoughts on the film mm-hmm. after seeing it for the second time in your life? Yeah. Uh, and then I have a little Chasing Amy story. It's not that important, but I thought it'd be a nice little context about it. So please go ahead. Yeah. So um, with Chasing Amy, um, I've told the story a few times on the podcast, but for those who haven't heard it, the Sparknotes version is I had a friend growing up named Ian who he was the person whose house I would go to uh, to watch R-rated movies. I feel like we all, a lot of people had a friend like that. Ian, Ian, Manny is pointing at himself. He was that friend to other people. Uh, Ian was allowed watching R-rated movies. So I had my first encounters with... uh, zombie movies and horror movies at his house at my first encounter with quentin tarantino at his house and uh he he i think his dad specifically was into kevin smith movies which to an 11 year old kid looking up to his dad that meant ian was also into kevin smith movies at 11 years old Mm -hmm. um so he took it upon himself to show me uh both chasing amy and dogma and i think a little bit of clerks but not the entire thing um there's been a couple of instances on the show where I've said, oh, I think I watched that a long time ago, and then we watch it. I'm like, nah, I didn't watch that. Chasing Amy's not one of those. I remember multiple things about <laughs> Chasing Amy, and I'm watching this movie going, wow, I really should not have been watching this movie at 11 years old. There's a lot that is over my head. A lot that I did not get at the time. Um, my feelings going into Chasing Amy this time, especially given the context of the moments that I remembered, uh, I was skeptical. Mm-hmm. I was nervous. I'm like, wow, this is a movie from 1997 about a man falling in love with a lesbian. And there's a lot of sexual themes in this movie and a lot of themes about homosexuality. And I'm really, really worried that the attitudes in this movie are not going to be very reflective of our current attitudes here in 2021. And yes, we always try to judge movies based on the context in which they were made. And we wouldn't want to be unfair to this movie. But let's call a spade a spade. There was a non-zero chance that this movie was going to not age very well. And it has aged surprisingly well. It has aged quite well, actually. The attitude towards homosexuality in this movie, and not just homosexuality, but basically a number of, let's say, non-mainstream sexual acts, or even the idea of there being a quote-unquote standard uh, sexual life that one would adhere to, its criticism of that idea is very before its time and very mature. And a lot coming off of mall rats, especially. Remember the <laughs> <laughs> last week we talked about mall rats, which many I think even as a fan of that movie, you would be you would freely admit that it's a very silly movie and, and a little bit on the crude side. Yes. 100%. So coming off of that movie, I'm remembering some of the specific moments that I remember from this movie and going, that guy made a movie about a guy falling in love with a lesbian and her kind of being labeled a slut in a previous life and this guy not being able to get past it. This is this might be a train wreck. This might not be good. And I was very surprised. I was uh, I was really surprised at uh, the maturity this movie treats its subject matter with. I was really surprised at the way 
um, it treats, especially the Jason Lee character. I, I remembered the Jason Lee character being uh, quite a vocal homophobe in this movie, and I was nervous to, to revisit that. And I think the way the movie treats him is just about right. Yep. Uh, and I think uh, most of the actors are doing at least good work. Um, the scene, I, there's, I won't get into specific scenes, but uh, there are a number of monologues in this movie that... <laughs> that are pretty heartfelt and they're la 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 long yeah i remember uh, especially the the first big monologue in the movie um i guess i won't spoil the specifics but the one in the car i was gonna say it's the one in the car the one in the car i remember being like how long have i been watching ben affleck talk for (laughs) this is this has gone on for quite a bit um so i i was uh, i was happy that chasing amy um exceeded my expectations and i breathed a sigh of relief when i realized oh okay this movie's actually like good <laughs> this, this movie's good so i can i can breathe easy awesome yeah uh for me uh i'll, I'll just tell my little story sure go so it's 1997 and mall rats and clerks have been on home video for a couple of years now i've watched them countless times this is all again this is pre-internet so I wasn't even and with this movie being made for two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, really wasn't quite aware mm-hmm. that I knew that Kevin Smith was making another movie. I was I had heard that he had finished it and I was just kinda waiting to see if it hit the festivals in the magazines that I was subscribed to that would get delivered to my house in the mail. Mm-hmm. If I could catch uh, any reviews on it or when it might be playing. And I was on the phone with uh, one of my best friends, uh, Pandora. And her and I were just talking. We just, as always, ended up talking about movies. And I just mentioned Chasing Amy. And she goes, well, it's playing at the Cineplex right now. I was like, what do you mean it's playing at the <laughs> Cineplex? She's like, well, it's, it's downtown at the Cineplex. And I'm like, I will call you right back. <laughs> Again, pre-internet. So I had to hang up the phone, call the Cineplex, listen to their listings. I find out Chasing Amy's playing, hang up the phone, call Pandora back. I'm like, get dressed. I'm coming to get you. We're going to the movies. Mm -hmm. Went and picked her up. We go and see Chasing Amy that night. There are, off the top of my head, three times... That I have literally fallen out of my chair laughing at the movie theater. And this is one of them. The opening Comic Con scene, which we'll get into detail, mm-hmm. I fell out of my chair laughing. For those of, of that are curious, the other two, the end of Ace Ventura when he fights the mascot, <laughs> and the uh, Jerry Springer scene in uh, Austin Powers. That is an unexpected list. Yes. Not bad picks. But unexpected. Yes. <clears throat> so, Chasing Amy is a fantastic film, in my opinion. Rewatching it, actually going into it, knowing you had seen it when you were young, but it being so long and a lot of the themes and issues would have been over your head at that time, I was very concerned on how you were going to take this film. I knew that some of the funny moments were going to work. Mm-hmm. But what about the themes and messages? Mm-hmm. And especially, it's not a spoiler, 
Banky's homophobia. Yeah. How is Sam going to be able to take this? For those of you um, listening and don't know, Sam and I are very LGBTQ friendly advocates. Uh, what's I, whatever allies? You, there you go. Yep. Uh, Sam's mother is gay. My oldest sister is gay, and one of my best friends is gay. Mm-hmm. So these kind of things tend to hit a little close to home for Sam and I. Mm. So I was worried because I know that this film, I felt it treats um, the queer community very well. But I can understand if people don't feel the same way. So I was concerned how you're going to feel. And I'm happy to hear that you got the same themes and messages from the film that I did, which we will get into when we get into spoilers. Um, speaking of treating the queer community with, with respect, uh, Dwight Ewell as Hooper, uh, one of my favorite characters in the movie. I don't know if he appears in the viewist universe moving forward, but I will have some more of that, please. Fucking hysterical. Good. <laughs> Good. Uh, so, that being said, this movie is another one of the films I have watched countless times. Again, w- while I throw these numbers out there for a lot of people going, there's no way he's watched them that often. I guarantee you I have. I've watched this movie well over 30 times. Mm-hmm. Easily. Uh, looking at my letterbox right now, with the latest watch, I think this is three times in the last two years I've watched Chasing Amy. So... It's not hard to think that in it's 1997, so what is that, 24 years? Mm -hmm. 24 times one and a half? Oh, God, you're testing me. (laughs) Yeah, so that's roughly almost 40. That's uh, 36. Yeah, so well over 30 times. Yeah. (laughs) And that's conservative because back in the 90s and early 2000s... You just binged Kevin Smith. (laughs) I just binged Kevin Smith constantly, and I would have had less options because all the movies I've watched in the 2000s hadn't come out yet. So I've been watching, be watching these ones. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's, this is a movie that I love. That means a lot to me. And as we'll get into, it also has one of the big major themes that we all know mean a lot to Manny and that's male friendship. Mm-hmm. And so, and actually there's a really great, female male friendship at the beginning Mm -hmm. as well so let's get into spoilers for chasing amy uh i'll take us in this time please spoilers for chasing amy in three two one Uh, go fuck yourself we'll start off with the comic con at the beginning Mm -hmm. before we get to the panel there are two incredibly great moments in this where we are introduced to banky the first is the tracer comment. Yeah. <laughs> if you're into comics, this is hilarious. If you're not into comics, it's still pretty funny. It was for me it was funny. I just I didn't really know it was a really a thing. Yeah. It's <laughs> it's definitely a thing. And then we get a at the time you would you wouldn't be able to call it a cameo, but now you can call it a cameo. Casey Affleck. Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> I was like, that's that's Casey fucking Affleck. <laughs> Which was only the it was the second most interesting cameo in this movie. <laughs> Wait, the second? Matt Damon. 
oh, right. <laughs> I was like, I know there's another one. Yeah. Uh, okay. So the I don't know if you, I know you're not huge into the Viewers universe and the whole Kevin Smith world, mm-hmm. but the guy that's calling him a tracer, do you know who that is? Um. Yes. Um. I, I saw it when I was researching earlier. And okay. I forget now. It's Scott Mosier. It's yeah. the producer and best and one of Kevin Smith's best friends. There you go. Um, who played multiple roles in Clerks? Mm-hmm. Uh, he played uh, Mr. Spenning's assistant in Mallrats. Mm-hmm. Uh, I he's great. Jason Lee, right off the bat, shows us what his character is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love it. It's a fun start. But it's only a small appetizer for what's about to happen. I believe you are referring to the uh, to the Lando Calrissian Star Wars altercation, the Hooper X discussion on the lack of African American representation in sci fi fantasy, which is pretty fucking bang on, actually. <laughs> it is spectacular writing on behalf of Kevin Smith. Mm-hmm. It is absolutely unbelievable performance from Dwight Ewell as Hooper X. I love his back and forth, like how he can just switch the persona on. Yes. And then he can just kind of be himself. But, oh man, like between this and the, the scene later in the comic shop where he tells the little black kid, he points, at, uh, <laughs> he points at Ben Affleck and says, you see that man right there? He's the devil. <laughs> Between these two moments, he's so good at turning it on and off. Yes. It's really funny. This scene, like I said earlier on, literally had me falling out of my chair at the fucking movie theater laughing so hard. When he says, <laughs> when Holden says, what about Lando Calrissian? Hooper replies, <laughs> These fucking white boys always invoking the holy trilogy. <laughs> when Banky asks what's a Nubian, I lost my fucking mind. Hooper then says <laughs> he re- he takes off his beautiful black visage to reveal a crusty, feeble old white man, telling us we all want to be white. And Banky says, well, isn't that true? <laughs> I lose my mind. This Comic-Con panel scene is a tour de force from the three of them. Mm-hmm. It's Holden, Ben Affleck, doesn't have as much to do, but Dwight Ewell's Hooper X and Banky's reactions and little jabs are delightful. Instantly calling himself as a shit disturber. Like this is, this is a great. Uh, even though we've already had uh, one scene with Banky, um, the two scenes that we've had for Banky are really, really good at introducing who he is. Yes. The first one is his reaction to somebody taking him down a peg and kind of tearing apart his identity in a way. Yes. Of just like, well, you're just a tracer, and his reaction to that, and we get an idea of what a hothead he is. This scene, we see the other side of him, where he's the one tearing somebody else down and says, well, isn't that true? And he's just he's shit-eating grin, stirring the pot, yep. anything to get a fucking reaction. I love, like, this is a really effective way of introducing Banky, these two scenes. I love it. Yeah. <sighs> so, uh, fl- <laughs> this movie, as I was rewatching it, I just, I'd honestly kind of forgotten how well it's written how well it's performed, and how much I enjoy it. Mm -hmm. 
after the we, we're introduced to Alyssa here short quickly uh but we get to they go to for a post drink where we learn even more about Banky where he gets into a fight with Hooper about Archie being gay. Yeah. <laughs> this sadly is a scene with Banky and Hooper that I can sadly relate to far too much. Relate to Banky far too much? Yeah. And <laughs> the way he does things. Yeah. Him and Hooper having an argument. Hooper is making some valid points. And Banky's so mad and wants to prove Hooper wrong so much that he says, we're going across the street. We're going to buy some fucking Archie and Jughead comics. And I'm going to prove to you beyond a shadow of a doubt that Archie's all about pussy. Do you have a compulsive need to be right? Is that what you're telling me? Yeah. Why is this the the first I'm hearing of this? Shocker. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I ever told you the irregardless story between me and T-Bone. You may have. Funny, I have an irregardless story as well. Yeah. Oh, man. I left a rehearsal dinner at a wedding to go look up if irregardless was a word in a dictionary. I imagine this is pre-phones. Nope. (laughs) Because of my pure love and pure fucking hatred of T-Bone, and the man can play me like a fiddle, Mm -hmm. and the worst part is I know he's doing it, and I still allow it. (laughs) He said, we we had phones, and I'm showing him that irregardless is a word. He's like, you can't believe what you read on the internet. Oh, man. Sent me over the edge. Mm. Sent me over the edge. Too long of a story to tell, but I literally pretty much did the exact same thing that Banky did. I had to prove him right or prove him wrong and whatever. Not not my finest moment. No. Doesn't sound like it. No. I embarrassed myself pretty good. But I ended up being right. <laughs> <laughs> and that is, is the real is the real point of the story. That is the real point of the story. Manny was right. T-Bone was wrong. But yeah, I, I can relate to this this part of this scene uh, a little too much. Uh, but this is also where Holden and Alyssa begin their friendship. And you can see that Holden uh, is really intrigued by her. And you can see why. Uh, Alyssa carries herself with some confidence. Mm-hmm. She's well-spoken. She has her own thoughts and ideas and isn't falling for the cutesy little bullshit that Holden is doing. Mm-hmm. And he likes it. And it's uh, it, it's pretty obvious that mm-hmm. he his interest is sparked. And you and like I said, it's easy to see why Alyssa is a very a very good and a very intriguing character so far. Yeah, um I think one of the one of the things I'm still kind of trying to process with the movie is uh, I did I got a great initial spark with them the same way you did um, their their development uh, as far as a relationship goes I know there's a lot of material the movie needs to go through and it's a pretty idea dense movie but I don't know if we're we're not quite here yet but I'll just say what I'm thinking the idea of having a lot of their uh, attachment develop through montage mm-hmm. it's it's like one montage of them getting to know each other really well and getting up to all sorts of shit um that didn't really do it for me like i could have used i got the initial spark i didn't get falling in love a hundred percent yeah i i didn't I, I didn't mean to cut you off Go let for me it. i get 
Holden falling in love, mm-hmm. not Alyssa. Yeah, exactly. I, okay. Exactly. Perfect. Right. Okay, yeah. good. We're on, we're on the same page. Completely. Um, we go back to the studio where Banky and Holden live. Mm-hmm. They both live there, and they both work out of their own apartment for, uh, was it, what was it called? Was it Bank? No, Hold Up, hold up Bank Studio or hold, Bank Hold Up? Bank Hold I can't remember what they called it. Oh, you've seen this movie 36 times, Manny. You better I know. know it. Fucking right. Uh, <laughs> no. Or is this number 37? Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. <laughs> well played. <laughs> Thank ben. you, ladies and gentlemen. I'll be here all night. Yeah, we can just, look, we're just ending the podcast <laughs> yeah, that's right the there. end. For it's... the Samuel Emanuel Movie Podcast, I'm Sam Reimer. I'm Manny Manuel. <laughs> Adios. Adios. Oh, we reversed oh. that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Uh, the, the two things here is a setup, a setup for a great joke and a setup for a great moment. And that's the... Alyssa and I shared a moment. Oh. Which sets up a great joke later and an incredibly deep and meaningful moment at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Again, it's astounding that Kevin Smith can write this well. <laughs> As coming off of Mallrats. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, so I, I really like this. But the other thing as well is this is where Banky starts to show his homophobia. Mm-hmm. And I've forgotten how vitriol he can be mm-hmm. with some of his phrases. The F word is dropped a lot. Mm-hmm. And I was like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Owie. I mean, I guess back in the 90s, a little more commonplace, but De- e- even then, not nice. <laughs> mm-hmm. Back, uh, I can tell, I, I lived through it. Oh, I yeah. can tell you right now, the F word, and we're not talking about fuck, <laughs> We're talking about the uh, racial, uh, not the racial slur, the homophobic slur. Yeah. Dropped free use. It was used no problem. It did not carry the weight that it does now. Yeah. Not, I'm I'm in no way saying that, I'll I'll flat out tell you, I definitely use that word Mm -hmm. until I became friends with Ray, who is one of my gay, one of my best friends who, just happens to be gay. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't until I started becoming friends with him that my use of language changed. Mm-hmm. I would s- sadly use the term "that's so gay." Oh yeah, I would. I mean, I even though I was not allowed around in the '90s, like I mean, I was I was a teenager once too, you know. Yep. <laughs> so so yeah. So I I definitely used. Uh, I used homophobic slurs all the time mm-hmm. until I became friends with Ray, and I was shown that while I wasn't using them, to, like, oh, I'm not I, talking about gay people. I so wasn't, it's okay. yeah, I wasn't yeah. using it to denigrate a gay person. I was using it as an insult to somebody else, which their influence denigrates a gay person. Yeah, right. They're like, oh, I'm not. I'm not saying gay people are bad. I'm just trying to insult my friend by comparing them to a gay person. Yes, and that yeah. works in the mind of a young man. Yes, it does <laughs> for both of us. Yeah, in in that is the exact reasoning that was in my head. I yeah. had I I know for I know for a fact I had nothing against gay men, gay women, gay anybody, but <laughs> I had that no connect, that connection had not been that synapse had not. Nope. Just no, yet. It, it definitely hadn't. It de- when I would, when I would say something was gay, when I would call somebody a fag, anything like that, it never occurred to me that that would actually hurt a gay person's feelings. Mm-hmm. Never occurred to me. And while 
for people a lot younger than me and me saying that, they might think I am a fucking troglodyte and how could I be such an idiot? I'm sorry. It's just the way it was back then and it wasn't until I was shown it that I was able to change. So yes, people can change. Yeah. You don't have to cancel somebody <laughs> for something they did in the past. <gasps> they can learn from their mistakes and become better people. What a shocking idea, people. Does that feel good to get out of your system? It really did. Okay. <laughs> I won't lie. It really did. Oh, uh, yeah. I think, uh, I mean, we, we don't necessarily have to get super into this, but like, yeah. I think a lot of the people who, um, who would view this sort of discussion uh, as being... I don't know, unproductive or bad or negative in some sort of way. Well, they'll have a lot of fun. <laughs> they'll have a lot of fun in about 20 years when the views that they currently hold go out of style. Agreed. Yeah, that's that's about all I have to say about that. Uh, so, yeah. So to bring back to what we had started on discussion, mm -hmm. this is where Banky really starts to show his homophobia. He's dropping the, he's dropping the F-bomb a lot. Mm -hmm. And you're starting to understand that this man actually does seem to have a problem with gay people. Mm. Despite the fact that one of their friends, Hooper, is gay. Yeah. I think he's along the lines like, I can say it because I have a gay friend. Oh, to that's totally what it is. Yeah. So they get invited to a club. This is one of the things, this is, as I was watching this, I was... Also a little sad that you had already seen this movie mm -hmm. and you knew the plot. Because I was wondering if this twist, like if somebody went in completely blind to this movie, mm -hmm. if this scene would have been a welcome shock. Right, right. Um, well, I was watching this with Emma who hadn't seen it before, but mm -hmm. I did I did tell her the plot. Okay. Uh, so like during the scene, I was also like, oh shit, I wish I hadn't told her that. Because I, I had... Even though I remembered lots about this movie, I had totally forgotten that this was, like, a revelation at one point, you know. I had forgotten that it was this big of a reveal. So, I wish I had gone in blind, and I wish I hadn't spoiled it for the people who I was it's watching. Not, it's not a huge deal. Yeah. Right? Uh, but I like how they set everything up. Because mm -hmm. when you're watching the scene, you actually don't really notice that the only men in this club are Holden, Banky, and Hooper. Yeah. <laughs> right? Because you're not looking at the extras. Mm-hmm. I do love that the shot of uh, of Banky making the connection. Yes. Like, looking to his left, <laughs> shot of a woman. Looks to his right, shot of two women talking to each other. <laughs> looks right ahead, shot of two women. And then just the shot of his face and the... Oh! <laughs> like, you can almost see the light bulb go off. He's like, oh, I get it. Yes. And while this is happening, Alyssa is making out with a girl. Yeah. And this is where we get the payoff to the share a moment. He slaps hold and he's like, now that's a shared moment. Yeah. <laughs> and then he's just like, I love Jason Lee in this movie. Mm -hmm. I love him. While his character does some really horrible things, he also does some incredibly funny things and some incredibly touching and really true friendship things. Uh, this character is a very complex character that I love Love. I think for both Banky and Holden, one of the things that the movie does right is kind of making it doesn't make excuses for their immaturity. As a matter of fact, their immaturity is like the whole point mm -hmm. of the movie. The fact that Holden can't really get over himself 
resulting in him not getting what he wants. Yeah. Like that's like that's like the whole point of the movie, and uh, and Banky not being able to come to terms with who he is, like that that is such a big part of the movie that these men are just way too insecure in themselves. Yes, and the movie doesn't apologize for them. I I, I like that a lot. Yeah. We move into a next scene, which is one of my favorite scenes, and that's the discussion about sex and the comparing scars. Yeah. Yeah. Do you get this reference on this scene? Uh, I didn't, uh, but I did see uh, in the trivia notes that yeah. uh, like as soon as I read this, I was like, oh, pff, of course. Of course this is the scene. It's a Jaws reference. Yes. And of course it was from Kevin Smith. Yes. Because Kevin Smith is also, I mean, he's a filmmaker, so almost by default he's a big Jaws fan. No, Jaws is one of his favorite films. Well, there like, you go. one of yeah. his favorite yeah. films. So, I mean, this is clearly the the scar scene from from jaws where they're all they're all comparing horror stories about how they got their scars if you if if slash i'm hoping when you watch this movie again Mm -hmm. when you watch it now knowing it's a jaws reference you can see even more because they're sitting in the same kind of table that's on the orca on jaws and so this will be hard for listeners to understand but i'm doing this more for sam so they're sitting at this like a corner booth table Mm -hmm. and behind their heads are uh almost like lights or posters and they're blue to Mm. signify the ocean right that's to make it seem like they're on the orca so it Mm. it pays huge homage to jaws and for those of you that haven't seen jaws and don't understand the scars reference you should probably go watch it you should probably go watch it because (laughs) jaws is one of the greatest films ever made and that might be one of my favorite scenes because following the scar scene is the Indianapolis scene. Yeah. Oh, shit. Oh, man. <laughs> Just an unbelievable monologue. Anyways. Jaws has been on my rewatch list for a long time. I've I've seen it multiple times, but not recently enough. Oh, my like, God. I've, I last time I saw Jaws was probably... Eh, did I watch it in Calgary ever? I don't think I did. So it was probably about five years ago was the last time I watched it. Mine was a couple weeks ago. Yeah. <laughs> With your mom. With my mom. It was a great story. It was. Maybe I should invite my mom to come over and watch Jaws. You should. <laughs> That's an idea right there. Uh, the comparing sex stories and scars, hilarious. Uh, sorry, so, just before we move away from Jaws, did you catch this reference the first time? I have to imagine you did, because even at the time that this movie came out in 97, you were already a big film there, The reference right? that it's it's a Jaws yes. homage? Mm-hmm. 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I was a big fan of Jaws, and then when this came out, I'm like, oh my god. And it's even more so because uh, Alyssa brings her leg up on the table, yeah, like, right. like Hooper does mm-hmm. in Jaws. Yeah, and they, yeah, they all have sort of... Uh, jaws related names as well right yep there's there's a few of them i don't have them written down in front of me right now but yep yeah. uh did you catch some of the names of the people in the story like when she was going down on brandy svenning or he was oh. going down on brandy svenning yep caught that <laughs> um i think this is probably later but i had another one written down somewhere yeah rick darris yeah rick darris well obviously that that one's quite prominent in the movie uh, and then there was another one somewhere. Where did this There's go? There's a couple other ones. Uh, she uh, she fell in love hard with Caitlin Bree was the one I've written down. I think that's in a later scene. But yeah. She says she fell in love hard with Caitlin Bree. Yeah. There's another one, but I'm gonna when we get to it, I'll reveal it because there's actually a nice little funny twist to it as well. Oh, and she sorry. She also said she uh, her best friend fucked a dead guy in the bathroom. Yeah. Who was also Caitlin Bree? Caitlin Bree. Yes. Yes. Okay. All right. Uh, so yeah, love the comparing scars uh, story. Next up is the other cameo you mentioned, the business meeting. Yes. Uh, with Brian O'Halloran and Matt Damon. Mm-hmm. Uh, very quick. Very, he's so Matt Damon's so young. 
Yeah, he barely has any lines in this movie, right? Yeah. At this time, he must have just been Ben Affleck's friend, Matt Damon. I have to imagine. Or did they? Did they? They did know each other before this, right? Oh, Ben. Ben and Matt grew up together. Yeah, I assumed as much. Yeah. Uh, but no, Matt had been in some stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, would have been in School Ties, maybe Courage Under Fire, and they would have made this just before Goodwill Hunting. Yeah, because well, Goodwill Hunting was '97 as well. Yeah. So yeah, that makes sense. So this would have been filmed. Um, this probably would have been f- the filming. Probably would have happened in l- probably late '96. So probably when this was getting edited and made they would have been filming goodwill hunting yeah because they probably would have been filming goodwill hunting in early 97 most likely Mm. anyways uh so uh a a nice quick cameo uh we get the uh banky's theory that everyone just needs a good deep dicking when you think about it a little too on the nose when it comes to banky yes like i Given that I had seen this movie and I knew uh, what was coming with Banky, mm-hmm. watching this scene, I was like, yeah, I can't believe they all missed this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Deep down, everybody needs a good dickhead. Yeah. His, his, latent, homopho- his, his latent homosexuality. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, which, is, which is awesome that the one person that would know does, Hooper. Yeah. I remember, uh, like, I, I was watching this movie with Emma and she, like... She every time we like either somebody in a movie or somebody in real life is homophobic, she subscribes to the theory just like every homophobe is secretly gay. She's like always pointing it out. So when Hooper says the line, that man loves you in a way he isn't prepared to or he isn't prepared to comprehend, something like yeah. that. Uh she great line. She gasped. She was like <gasps> she was like, Oh my god, they're actually gonna go this direction. Yes. <laughs> uh this is this was um I always wondered why we didn't really touch on it. After Holden discovers that Alyssa's gay, he becomes a bit of a dick mm-hmm. because he liked her and he's too immature to process this. But Alyssa comes to his house and wants, has obviously found something in Holden with their one night with the post drinks and the night that they were hanging out at the club. Mm-hmm. You can actually see that they have a connection at the club prior to her making out because they. They talk about New Jersey. That's where she talks about Caitlin Bree. Mm-hmm. And she obviously, I shouldn't even say obviously, Holden doesn't hide the fact that what happened upset him mm-hmm. and he can't handle it. And she goes to him, which shows a lot of character for Alyssa Jones because if most of the time if you were to meet somebody that was upset that you were gay, you'd be like, well, fuck that guy. Mm-hmm. But she sees something in him. She sees she felt some type of connection so she goes to his house totally calls him out for being a douche oh which yeah i fucking love uh-huh again great character work great writing mm-hmm. flat out right now i'm just gonna say this is probably the best written movie in kevin smith's repertoire so it's all downhill from here is what you're saying it's in regards to the quality of writing yes <laughs> entertainment value we still have some good movies left yeah i remember liking dogma but we'll We'll get there. Yeah, we'll get there. So I've always liked this about Alyssa, that she comes to him. She's like, I'm not going to let, I'm not going to let you be a dick. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about it. And I, this scene um, really means a lot to me as well. For me personally, when I became friends with Ray, him and I 
went and hung out one day and we had a great day and near the end um, we were just sitting down for coffee and I asked him flat out may I ask you some questions mm-hmm. about you and your life mm-hmm. and he was completely open and I asked him all these things he was the first gay man I had become friends with yeah. my sister had come out a few years quite a few years prior to that I'm trying to think of the timeline oh definitely would have come out a, a a couple, at least four or five years prior to me becoming friends with Ray. But her and I had never really had a very in-depth discussion about her coming out and how that all felt. So Ray was the first gay friend I had. And I got to ask him everything I wanted to ask a gay man or a gay person. And he was forthcoming and open and honest with me. And since that day, he's been one of my best friends. Mm Mm-hmm. And so this scene where Holden's asking or curious about uh, Alyssa's life and how she came to know that she was gay and how things work, um, it really resonated with me a lot. And I think it's one of the reasons that this movie means so much to me and that I enjoy it so much is that it's it touches on a lot of the aspects in my life that are important to me. Mm-hmm. Holden and Banky's friendship, obviously big thing for me. Uh, Holden and Alyssa, their friendship is very similar to me and Ray's friendship and how it was built mm-hmm. on our openness and uh, ability to talk openly about his life and his, his experiences growing up gay and what he had to deal with, which was very unpleasant. Mm-hmm. Um, but I won't obviously reveal any of Ray's life mm-hmm. here. But it was very, it was so nice to be able to have somebody that I could talk openly about that and not, he didn't judge me. Mm -hmm. He didn't call me an idiot for asking any questions. It was great. And I'll always be thankful for that. And then obviously thankful because I gained a best friend. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So this seems really great um, for me personally. Um, And then we get into the friendship montage. But did you want to touch on anything about Alyssa and Holden becoming friends there? Yeah, I. Uh, this is, I mean, a lot of the stuff going on sort of thematically in the scene would have been among the things that would have started to be over my head when I watched this at 11 years old. A lot of the sexual themes about what, what constitutes sex and Holden's sort of uh, closed-mindedness about, like, about what sex is and what it's for mm-hmm. and um, him sort of being... Um, educated in the scene and seeing his growth as a person as he uh you know he begins after the scene to start calling out uh uh banky banky thank you uh, he begins to call out banky for his homophobia after this like you can see this scene is really a turning point for holden's character mm-hmm. um so i think it's really important in that regard and it's funny what you remember from when you're a kid, because uh, I I don't remember everything from this movie, obviously, but I do remember for some reason uh, the line she says about um, when he says, "Okay, I guess virginity is when the hymen is broken." She's like, "Well, I guess then I lost my virginity when I was 12 and I fell on a fence post." Yep. Uh, I remember thinking in that moment, I'm like, "I'm too young to be watching this." <laughs> <laughs> I distinctly remember that line, but recontextualized in adulthood now that that's a great line actually because she's pointing out just how 
fucking how childish yes. his point of view is. Yes. Uh, and when I was a child, his point of view made perfect sense to me. I was like, yeah, makes sense. Penetration, sex. Yes. <laughs> uh, but seeing in the scene, I'm like, oh, there's okay. There's a lot more to consider and it's kind of like what i said in non-spoiler one of the big ideas of this movie is that there's no such thing as like a sexual standard like we all kind of pretend there is but like everybody's different and there's the old expression different strokes for different folks like yep like there is really not one size fits all yeah any of this this movie is really ahead of its time and very progressive in its thoughts Mm -hmm. and this is one of the movies that helped me get there because i watched this movie before i met ray yeah and uh, so it was. It was. <clears throat> it was really eye-opening and really awesome to kind of be called out on my own bullshit as well mm-hmm. by a movie and by a filmmaker that I really enjoy and respect. Mm-hmm. The friendship montage is great. It's fun. It goes by fast. It really shows that these two have a really great connection, and it does show that you can see that Holden is definitely falling for Alyssa. And Alyssa, at no point do I see Alyssa falling for Holden. Yeah, I don't. I don't get that reversal. Um, yeah, I will. Uh, you know what I was gonna say. I'll save it for the scene where it comes up because okay. it's not far away. I just want to quickly touch on some more of Banky's homophobia. The drawing. Yeah. This is one of the parts I remembered. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of the parts where I was like, "Ooh, there's the thing with Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny." I don't know if this is. You know what? I still laughed. Whatever. It, it is. It's, it's still funny. It is. It's well done because you understand, you understand, you understand the type of character that that Banky is. Yeah. And so, he's very angry, jealous, and protective of Holden. Yeah, exactly. And he also, obviously, as we find out later, hasn't come to grips with who he is yet. I think that was part of the reason the scene worked so well for me is because I already knew I already knew Banky was gay yep. as I was watching this. So I was like, I was like, okay, this this is him lashing out, and he's really not understanding who he is and what he's feeling in this moment, and he's he's choosing to attack uh, fuck, Alyssa. Alyssa, he's choosing to attack Alyssa because he doesn't understand what he's feeling. Yes, and he sees like, he's trying to villainize her and sort of like remove suspicion from his, himself yep. a little bit. So yeah, it's it's a it's a good scene, and I think it really works because uh, because of Holden's reaction. I think Ben Affleck does a good job of kind of being visibly uncomfortable. Yeah. In this scene, and kind of get starting to get kind of pissed off. Yeah. With like enough's enough. Yeah. Like it's time time to stop this bullshit. So yeah. it, it works for for all of those reasons, I think. Mm-hmm. Which leads us into um, Holden and Alyssa in the car, mm-hmm. and. This is where we get a very long, really good monologue Mm -hmm. from Affleck. Some really good acting, him confessing his love to Alyssa, and Alyssa, um, Joy Lauren Adams giving really great reactions, and I think it's just a really well done scene. Mm -hmm. Not well shot, but well done. This isn't one of the scenes that I remembered watching, and I'm glad that I didn't know where it was going because it was definitely a roller coaster. I was I was along for the twists and turns in this scene because Ben Affleck gives this really long, really heartfelt monologue uh, to a woman who, to this point in the movie, I I did not. Even though I saw the spark, like I said, I didn't see love at least on her part. So like not romantic love, not romantic love. Yeah. yeah, good. Thank you for pointing that out. So when he gives this monologue and there's a beat where he stops talking and he's waiting for her response. 
I'm like, man, if they kiss right now, that's actually kind of kind of bum me out. Like that's that's just so not earned, not earned at all. Mm-hmm. And she opens the door and walks out. I'm like. Fuck yeah. That's that's exactly what would happen. Yes. <laughs> I was very excited. And then when when he walks after her, she chews him the fuck out. She's like, do you have any idea how stupid you sound right now? Yep. She completely calls him out. She's like, this is who I am. And you can't you can't change who I am because you have a crush. Yes. Like, do you fucking hear yourself? Yeah. And I was like, yeah, that's a great point. Even though I love the Ben Affleck monologue and yes. it's really heartfelt and really well acted, her reaction is so authentic and good here and well acted. I really liked it. When she winds up kissing him in the rain, at first I was kind of like, I, actually, let me, let me retract that. I still don't know if it's earned. Everything I, in this scene is earned up until the kiss. I agree. This is this is the for me flat out. Mm-hmm. Here is well this will be in contention for the weakest part of the movie. Yeah. Is that I have a hard time making the connection between when her love for Holden, her friendship love mm-hmm. transfers into romantic love. The thing is is that later she has a great monologue when they're laying together where she explains why she was in love with him. Mm-hmm. Love it makes sense. They just don't show that part. Yeah. Right? There's it's and I I don't have a solution on how. Mm-hmm. I I don't. I can't offer obviously I can't. I'm not a fucking filmmaker. Mm-hmm. I'm just a fucking stupid podcaster in a tiny town in BC. Cheers, mate. Thanks, <laughs> Thanks brother. Um but if this like if that's the weakest point of this movie, it doesn't make me not. If they hadn't done such a great job with that scene where Alyssa explains why she fell in love with Holden, I think I would have a massive problem with this movie. I think Kevin Smith is a good enough writer to realize that this scene didn't necessarily have the um. Well, it didn't necessarily earn its payoff. Yes. So I, I would think that. When he, when he, in his head, he's seeing how this movie is going to be edited together. He re- he realizes that while Holden's love for her is relatively well explained, it her- is, it is, and it's well shown. It's mm-hmm. all on Affleck's face. Yes, it's the way completely. he looks at her when they're hanging out. Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Please keep going. The reverse is not necessarily true. Agreed. Especially maybe in his head, Joy Lorden, Joy Lorden, Lauren Adams. My God, English language. Uh, <laughs> Maybe in his head, her performance was different. Maybe he got a little bit more of the, you know, the conflict. Maybe he had more more conflict in his head um, would be in her performance or something. But as he was shooting the movie, I have to imagine he realized, oh, this <laughs> this isn't necessarily working. And then I, I would imagine that's why that scene exists in the movie, the one where she's explaining her love later, because it's it's, it's, it's sort of a piece of duct tape over the over the over that hole in the movie. <laughs> and I think it's a gr- – I think, like – yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll we'll get to it. Yeah. They go home and fuck. Mm-hmm. And Banky comes home. Yeah. Great scene from Jason Lee. This whole section, his reaction, the dropping of the coffee. Mm-hmm. I love that moment he takes where he stands, stares, pause, and I I just I love his whole physical acting as well as he turns his whole body and move and walks out the door holden knows that's not good mm-hmm. goes outside to talk to his friend really great moment between two friends jason lee banky <clears throat> takes out that aggression that he's had he is now genuinely hurt but 
more concerned for his friend. His jealousy has been... His jealousy and his worry about his friend falling for this woman has now come true. Now he's worried that his friend is going to get hurt. Mm-hmm. He's terrified that his friend is going to get hurt. It's a really great scene between two friends. This scene means a lot to me. <clears throat> and I love that it ends with uh, Banky saying, all these years building something is going to be tossed away. And Holden doesn't know what he's talking about. Yeah. He's like, you don't have to worry about the the cartoon or yeah, the, I'm not talking about the, uh, I'm not talking about the cartoon. Yeah. It's a great moment between friends. I think one of the things that affected me about this scene, because I was affected by this and I, I think it's a great scene. Uh, up until this point in the movie, Banky has really had two gears. He's had silly and he's had angry. Those are really the only two sides we've seen of Banky <laughs> up until this point in the movie. Yeah. Uh, so when he just, takes that 90 degree turn out the door and he's sitting on the step and he can't even look at his friend yes. and he doesn't raise his voice at all. You instinctively know you're like, Oh, this is, this is something serious. Yeah. Like this is out of character for Banky acting this way. He's not yelling. He's, he's not playing it off as a joke. Like this is, this is a side of him we haven't seen yet. Like he, this is a testament to Jason Lee's performance. You feel the hurt. There's a knot in my stomach as I'm watching the scene because Jason Lee's fucking hurt. Yeah, at this, whether he's justified in feeling that way or not, he's Banky is not feeling good about what's going on right now. Yeah. Uh, one quick scene where Alyssa has to tell her friends who are all lesbians that she's fallen for a guy. Mm-hmm. It's rough. Yeah, it's rough. You can feel the discomfort, and I think one thing that a lot of a lot of people who imitate these sort of the writing styles of Kevin Smith or Quentin Tarantino. Um, a lot of the, the main thing that the imitators get wrong is there needs to be silence. Like Kevin Smith is really, really good at inserting these beats in the middle of really long, dense dialogue. Mm -hmm. He knows exactly where to pause and edit just to leave uncomfortable silences. And when she, she reveals that she's been seeing a man there's an uncomfortable silence. It's it's really really uncomfortable. Yes, and uh, and you feel that, and it's you can feel the uh, the discomfort that Alyssa has. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> so after his fears have come true, Banky does some digging and discovers finger cuffs. Mm-hmm. A first off fucking hilarious that she has that in her yearbook yep good for her for owning it <laughs> we get the rick Darris reference yep good old ricky Darris. good old rick Darris, our good friend from clark's yes uh a great story uh told in one take by that actor uh the character is coey london but the actor is, I have no idea who the actor is. Uh, I had him up here just a second ago. Coey London is John Williung. There John you go. John Williung. Yeah, this is, a, this is a great monologue. <laughs> a great monologue with some rap undertone. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's some rap uh, score in the background. Yeah, and, and the low camera angle. The low camera angle. Really, really effective. It's yeah. A, it's a great scene. And <laughs> this character is just such a fucking idiot. Yes. Like, such a fucking moron totally hated this guy instantly yes. which is exactly the point I yes think. yeah it is it's it's well it's well done 
Oh, I'm going to cough. Hold on. Yeah. And I think, again, one of the things that make the scene work is our expectations of this movie. This movie is so before its time that you don't really expect the female character who has this horror persona. You don't expect this story to be true. So the way that this is presented as a story first and Holden going, fuck, that's not real. We are relating to the protagonist here as a first-time watcher. We're going, yeah, fuck, this story isn't real. Come yeah. on, quit talking about Alyssa this way. That's bullshit. Yeah. Well, how could you say that shit about her? We don't know that the story is true. It's just a just a fucking rumor. We're we're an audience in the nineties where we're like, a woman wouldn't have sex with multiple partners. That's immoral. God damn it. Yes, that is <laughs> that is disgusting. That is the height of immorality. <laughs> the one other thing before we get to, well, there's a couple other things before we get there, uh, but. Another really good scene between Banky and Holden here after he tells a story and they have a real fight. Mm -hmm. And it's really well done, both from Affleck and Lee as they are yelling at one another. Lee, Banky has gone too far, too far. Mm -hmm. But we now understand why because he's having trouble processing his feelings and understanding that he is in love with Holden. Mm -hmm. And Holden not knowing that that's what Banky is feeling, just is seeing his best friend purposely trying to destroy his relationship. Mm -hmm. So that's not going to sit well because he has stated that he is in love with Alyssa. And so their argument here is raw and real. And Affleck gets real fucking angry. Mm -hmm. And as does Banky. I, I, this scene is really well acted from the two of them. Yeah, I think, I mean, Ben Affleck at this point was relatively unknown still. Because yep. like we said, Goodwill Hunting wouldn't come out until later. And even then, he's only in a supporting role. Um, so I, I don't know when Ben Affleck truly broke onto the scene it's as a It's right lead. around here. Give me one quick second. I mean, I guess this would be considered it. But no. e even this was kind of a relatively this invisible role as far as mainstream press, right? Uh, yeah, this wasn't, I'm just double checking because I'm pretty sure. Okay. Yep. He had not broke out yet. Mm -hmm. He's about to because he chasing Amy comes out early this year. Mm -hmm. So April goodwill hunting comes out, um, in, <coughs> sorry, in late, I'm going to say he's no a November release. Let's see if I'm right. It would have been award season, so it would have been November or October release. So, well, they're saying January, so it, that means it got a uh, like a festival release or something. It would have been it would have been shown like in L.A. and New York in December at some point to make it eligible for the Oscars, uh, and then it was released wide in January of '98. So that because in '98 is when he comes on because he's got armageddon and shakespeare in love right naturally so this is right when ben's about to become a superstar mm -hmm. fucking fantastic <laughs> i won't lie it was, a good, it was a good time when ben became a star it it's was, cool was... going back in time and seeing all seeing all these movies so this is where he's starting to get noticed because this while this movie you know it made 12 million dollars so it didn't have a big off i i i'm glad to know that i was part of that 12 million dollars hey fuck yeah me and pandora yeah. i was there on its initial run hell yeah um but this movie was critically acclaimed and uh i think it did pretty well at the independent independent spirit awards which is like the oscars for independent films 
It's actually held the day before the Oscars. Mm -hmm. And so this is where he started to get noticed within the industry, not in the public eye, except for me because I was living off Kevin Smith films. Mm -hmm. So I thought he was a already a superstar. Yeah, you already worshipped the I did, but the I ground saw that it. man walked and on. This was, and when Armageddon came out, I was, I hadn't, I was still enjoying Michael Bay because he'd only done Bad Boys and The Rock. You're like, man, this Michael Bay is sure is a promising up and comer. I'm like, this Michael Bay does good films. He's doing a movie with Bruce Willis and Ben Affleck. Man, what a great time to be watching movies in this, the 90s. We have Quentin Tarantino. We have Kevin Smith. We have Michael Bay. Yeah. You know, the, ne the next generation of great filmmakers. Steven Soderbergh. Yep. David Fincher. <laughs> it's fucking the 90s were good times, yeah. my friend. Hey, man, we got Denis Villeneuve now. Yeah. I'll take that. And... Uh, Damien Chazelle. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I still haven't seen First Man. Oh, it's right behind you. I'm scared too. You know I own it. What? Yeah. Fucking watch it. I why? Will. Why are you scared? Oh, sorry, Manny. Uh, do you get to sit here and judge me for owning movies that I haven't seen? Is that what's happening? Let me just uh, turn around 180 <laughs> degrees. Oh, there's only about a hundred thousand movies that you haven't seen on the shelf. Sorry. A hundred thousand. I should count them. I think there's about thirty. Yeah. Okay. Let's move past that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, let's. <laughs> we get to a scene that you mentioned earlier that you really enjoy, and I think it's another great scene. Uh, it's the return of Hooper, Holden and Hooper in the. It's it is it's a rec it's a CD store, mm -hmm. um, where we get a really great discussion on Banky's homophobia and his latent homosexuality. There are like three or four different lines from Hooper in the scene where I was like, "Fuck, that's a great line." Like, gets some belly laughs, gets, like, he gets a little bit of everything. Even though his, his line about Banky, uh, being gay, his, his implication that Banky is gay, um, even though that isn't really a funny line, for s some reason, their decision to reveal it there just works so well for yeah. me. I, I really don't, I can't, don't have an explanation for why that is. Like, of course it would be Hooper that would catch on to this. Well, of course. Because he's probably experienced some of these emotions himself in his own life. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Something about the delivery of that line when he's just like, that man loves you in a way he's not ready to comprehend That's yet. such a great line. It's so fucking good. I, I won't lie. I wish it was in my quotes. Mm -hmm. It's not. But it's great. The other part here is we get the first crack in the armor of our protagonist where Holden, unbeknownst to himself shows a little bit of his douchiness as he basically admits that he likes the idea that he's the only guy that Alyssa's been with. Yeah. Playing into the male fantasy. Mm -hmm. And Hooper calls him out on it. He's like, you don't think Alyssa's been in a, a three-way with two other girls? And Holden's like, see, that doesn't bother me. Yeah. And you're like, you fucking hypocrite. Yeah. Because again, he still just views sex and love as mm -hmm. like as penetration. That's just what it is. That's still his viewpoint. Yep. And of course, again, it has to be Hooper who can see through this as being a gay man in the nineties. He sees through this bullshit standard sex life yep. idea. He sees through all that and realizes that it's all bullshit. Um, but Holden is still just a just a white man who grew up with all straight friends and has never had any encounters with people who experiment, certainly not women who, uh, you know, who he respects. And uh, he's never quite had this experience of having to reckon with these ideas. One of the things as well that's really important to distinguish here for maybe people 
not quite my age, is Holden's problems with Alyssa's sexual history is a huge common problem. I don't, I, I can't speak for your generation, Sam, but for my generation, guys had a huge problem with girls if they had a mm, a lot of fun in their history. Yeah. Girls with, I guess the, the, the term they like to use now is body count. Yeah. Girls with a high body count back then were completely... Uh, Ostracized? Yes. There was... The slut shaming for me growing up for girls was horrible. Horrible. And I, even even younger, I'm, I'm happy... I'm, in my memory, I don't remember slut-shaming women because I was always confused as to why was it okay for guys to fuck a lot of chicks, but girls couldn't. I think this is this is probably a result of... I think we both had a lot of close female friends growing up, right? Yes. That's true of you, too. It was true of me, too, and I had the exact same viewpoint. I mean, we've talked about already some of the uh, things that we said and did that were once backward when we were younger men, but, like, this is a viewpoint I've kind of always held, I think. Same. It's just, like, I, I have never understood why women get labeled sluts and why it's such a negative thing for them having had so many partners. But, like, for guys, it's a badge of honor. It is such a clear and blatant double standard that it is shocking that there are people who don't understand that it's a double standard. Yes. Or who just who justify that it's a double standard and yep. think it's the way it ought to be. Um, to answer your question in a roundabout way, um, I am happy to report at least from my point of view as a man, you may have to ask women about this. It, from my perspective, it appears as though that point of view is in decline. I, uh, I But, it, but it's not is. gone by any stretch of the imagination. Of course it isn't. Yeah. Of course it isn't. Just like, hmm, just like the acceptance of uh, LGBTQ people has improved since this film came out. Yeah. It's not where it should be, but it's better. Yeah, we shouldn't have two straight dudes planning the parade just yet. <laughs> as yeah. far as homophobia being cured. Yeah, homophobia is not cured. Oh, I am not saying there. that. I am not saying that. But yeah. I can tell you from a person that grew up in the 90s, the way that uh, the queer community is treated now is better than it was back then. Mm-hmm. 100% from a straight man's perspective. Yeah. I can ask Ray. I can text him right now and ask him. <laughs> I should call him. Uh, <laughs> we should have had him on this episode. I definitely should have had him on this episode. Fuck, fuck me. He actually does want to come on. Oh, sure. Yeah. I was going to make a joke, but not appropriate. No. Uh, <laughs> uh, oh, fuck, I would really love for Ray to be on here. Mm-hmm. Um, But this is where we start to... I, I love that we start to see the flaws in our protagonist. Mm-hmm. He's shown a little bit like when he first found out that Alyssa was gay he was a little a pouty bitch about it yeah but here we get to see a serious decline in our protagonist Mm -hmm. which this is uh this is really great this scene is really well done we do get a little funny moment with the young black uh kid coming up to hooper see Uh, that man yeah he's the devil oh man (laughs) That's a that's a fucking belly laugh right there from me. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Dwight is fantastic. Like you mm-hmm. said, he can turn. He can become. He can become a Hooper, and uh, he's credited as Hooper X on IMDb. Is that like his alternate persona or something? Hooper X is who 
is who the writer of White Hayden Coon is. That's yes. the name of his comic. Yep, that's that persona. But I can't. I think his name is Hooper because I think they call him Hooper. So yep. I think it's Hooper is who he is, and Hooper X is the the character he has to play to sell yeah. the comics. <laughs> so his turn from from Hooper to Hooper X is just delightful, and I love that when the little boy walks away, he just shakes his head. He's like, I can't believe I have to do this. Yeah. <laughs> Man, there's there's <coughs> one line early on. I'm trying to find right now. Uh, oh, okay, I know we're gonna probably. There's there's so many great lines. In oh this my movie. god, there's and so there, many great lines. And there's so many monologues that I know I have missed a ton. So I just want to point out these lines as they pop into my head. This fucking line. Um, for years in this industry, whenever an African American character, hero or villain, was introduced, usually by white artists and writers, they got slapped with racist names that singled them out as Negroes. Now, in my book. White Hayden Coon don't have none of that bullshit. <laughs> that is such a quick line that goes by unexpectedly, yes. but that is such a funny, yeah. such a funny. His line. delivery, his delivery of the, my book, White Hayden Coon, doesn't have none of that bullshit. It is delightful. It's not even, not even dwelled upon. Yeah, it's so funny. Uh, just as a heads up, there are some incredible monologues in here. I didn't include any of them in my quotes. Me neither. Me, there's just, there's so much to sift. This through. movie is so well written. Yeah. Um, so we get to the hockey game where I flat out want to punch Holden in the face. Yeah. This is, uh, in the arena and outside of the arena outside, even more inside. I really want to smack him. Yeah. He has gone from a little bit backwards, but it's the nineties. So whatever to being like, wow, you're a fucking not only do I not agree with your belief system, you're being a fucking asshole about yeah. it. And I love how Alyssa plays along mm-hmm. to draw it out and make him look like a fucking douchebag. And this was the second <coughs> scene in the movie where when I was 11 watching it, I was like, yeah, I'm definitely too young to be watching this. <laughs> <laughs> I distinctly remember this arena scene where uh, where she retells the finger cuff story to him, basically, and yells it and screams it. I remember being like... You're, you're absolutely certain your parents are cool with us watching this. <laughs> uh, so the inside the hockey game is it's a fairly it's it's a fairly okay scene, mm-hmm. but what it does is it really sets up the parking lot fight. Yeah, which is a spectacular scene. Alyssa Joey Lauren Adams is amazing. She has a lot scene. of yelling scenes in this movie. Yes. she's pretty good with them. She is fantastic. Yeah. Affleck is such an asshole in the parking lot. He is such a dick. It is hard to watch. I think it, it is it is difficult to watch, and it it really can't be understated how much I dislike Holden in this moment. Like his protagonist has almost lost all credibility, and I think the reason why this level of character flaw from Holden does inevitably work in the movie's favor is because of the ending. If the movie winds up forgiving him. After this parking lot fight, I don't know if I would have liked that ending as much. I if, agree. If, like, Alyssa takes him back after the way he treats her here, like, I would lose respect for her. And she's the person she's who an I think... She's incredible She is a beacon of morality. And, like, the whole point of the movie, really, is that Holden needs to learn to not judge her. Yep. And, like, he's unable to let go of his own insecurity and winds up taking it out on her in the same way that Banky can't let go of his own insecurity and winds up taking it out on Holden. So, like, that's a, such a major theme of the movie that after this parking lot fight, if she took him back, I, I 
the movie would be way worse off for it. I agree. The movie Kevin Smith is very smart to not give our protagonist what he wants in the end. Yep. Uh, this is where <clears throat> this is where they make a reference to. She makes a reference to Mallrats mm-hmm. that I just want to point out. She talks about some of the things she's done. She said that she fucked Gwen Turner. Gwen Turner is the character that Joey Lord Adams played in Mallrats, so she essentially oh, fucked herself. Nice. <laughs> I did not catch that. Obviously. Yeah. Uh, I fucking I always love that of like well played. <laughs> uh, I love that this scene shows exactly what we were talking about. This shows the hypocrisy between the genders, where it's okay that Holden fucked a bunch of chicks, but it's not okay that Alyssa had sex with a bunch of guys. Yeah. Or just a bunch of people. Yeah. Like not even not like even an orgy that she has a sexual history. Yeah. And he can't handle it, and it's such a fucking. Dude from the 90s thing, I guarantee you, there mm-hmm. are, the majority of men were like this in the 90s. Oh, yeah. I would. I don't know if it's a majority now, but if a poll was taken and it proved to be a majority still, I wouldn't be surprised. Neither would I. Yeah. I, I, like, I'm, I will not call them out. I have a very close friend of mine that is exactly like this. He cannot handle the thought of his partner having a sexual history and anytime she brought up somebody that she'd slept with in the past he would get visibly upset again that is that is zero percent an emotion i can relate to like zero. question to guys or girls i guess who think that way who have trouble trouble with their partner's previous history do you just do you just not think your partner existed before you met them like you understand they existed and had thoughts and desires and needs before you came into their life or even maybe while you were in their life but weren't romantically involved with them whatever different situations i know like do you not understand that this person's life probably did not you were not the focus of it at all times in it yeah that is is a baffling perspective i agree a perfect counterpoint to this scene we leave an incredibly intense scene incredibly well acted by joey lauren adams Mm -hmm. great acting from affleck tense very emotionally driven so the next scene following up holden meets jane silent bob yeah naturally a little bit of comic relief yeah just to let the air out yeah because that's that scene that parking lot scene it is intense it's heavy it's very heavy and we get a nice little reprieve as jane silent bob show up muse kills it yep (laughs) absolutely kills it absolutely Nails it as Jay, basically, again, playing himself mm-hmm. from what we hear. And Kevin Smith is great as Silent Bob, who gets a very long monologue. This this movie is all about long monologues. Mm-hmm. Kevin Smith must have been must have been studying theater or something before this. Or who's a, who's a director or a writer who likes long monologues who was active in the 90s? Uh, maybe David Mamet, who is a, who is a playwright who also did some... Uh, uh, did some movies. Yeah, it feels like there's somebody I'm missing. Are you talking about Sorkin? No, <laughs> well, I was going to say Sorkin had done um, A Few Good Men. And, oh, what was that one uh, about the president that uh, we just watched? Um, that was Sorkin. The American President? Yeah, Ameri- the, Amer- the one with the American President. What was that, what was that one called? Is that 90- the American President. When was that, 96? 95. That would have been 95. 95, because yeah. that was a good year for film. Yeah, it was fucking awesome. And that made my list. That was a great flick. But, yeah, he had really, I guess, only done those two at that point. No, he'd done a couple other ones. 
But yeah, he certainly, to my knowledge, wasn't the household name that he is currently. I don't think he... Well, he got an Oscar nomination for his... Uh, um, his script for A Few Good Men, which is his first script. Mm-hmm. So let's see what he had done prior. What the fuck? Hmm. Yeah, so he'd also done Malice. Right. The one we've, we've been through this before because I haven't seen that. Yeah. Uh, Sports Night hadn't started. West Wing hadn't started. Nope. Hmm. Yeah. So just the American, well, A Few Good Men, Malice, and The American President mm-hmm. were all before this. Uh, I like how <clears throat> I like how in Silent Bob's monologue, uh, he even Jay even sort of pokes fun at the trope that Kevin Smith is pulling here, where the silent characters has one line and it's, he's the wisest one. Yeah, the guy who doesn't do the talking uh, is always the wisest. Um, yeah, so Jay Jay points that out, but uh, but Silent Bob exactly has the point of view that you and I have held. Yes, and uh, he he. It's amazing to me that after this monologue, after being screamed at by his own girlfriend, and after this monologue by Silent Bob, it is amazing to me that Holden still doesn't get it. Yep. Like, he gets it, but he doesn't get the solution. Correct. Right. Uh, after this, he thinks he he thinks he understands, and he still really doesn't. No. So, uh, even though Silent Bob says the right things, uh, he does not take the correct lessons from it. Holden does not. Correct. Very funny scene, great thing, which is perfect because now we're going to get into another emotionally heavy scene with some really good acting and some more monologues. The, if I'm not mistaken, the third scene in which I was watching it and went, I'm far too young to be watching this movie (laughs) (laughs) on my first watch. So this is Holden, Banky, and Alyssa. Where Holden thinks the idea to solve all their problems is for all three of them to have sex. I think the beautiful thing about this scene is that while Holden did get it so catastrophically wrong, the movie does an excellent job of drawing us a roadmap to how his brain got there. Yes. It does a really good job of, even though this is a really dumb idea, and Alyssa is correct to point out how dumb it is, like... It, it is completely in character for this character to have this idea yes. at this moment. It's you, And his monologue about how uh, a great calm came over me because I, I knew this was the right idea. It's so convincing and so authentic and so heartbreakingly genuine from Holden. Yep. Where he's like, this is the solution to all of our problems. And you're like, what? No, <laughs> that's not it. Yeah. And this is, again, just another praise for Joey Lauren Adams as she is... Most of this scene is about up until she gets a chance to talk. They keep cutting to her. She is so hurt and so vulnerable. She is obviously still completely devastated from what Holden did in the parking lot. Mm -hmm. But she loves him, and that's why she's here. And I'm sure she never would have thought that this is what he was going to propose as a way to resolve their situation. Mm -hmm. Banky's here for his friend. And it's here that he finally gets to realize exactly what he's feeling. Oh, man. One of the, like, we have a best scene category and a best quote category. But if we were going to go with best moment, the moment that Ben Affleck kisses Jason Lee is a fucking showstopper. That is a fucking awesome moment. And Jason Lee's silent, shocked reaction is fantastic. Yep. As he comes to realize who he is. Yeah. Yeah. 
this scene is powerful and right and it's even better when he Holden's done explaining what he thinks is the right thing to do and Alyssa's like you're an idiot Mm -hmm. that's the worst fucking thing that could happen and when she says no (laughs) Peggy's like oh thank god (laughs) he's not ready for that shit yeah he's not ready to take that step yet yeah But she lists off all these reasons on what could go wrong, mm-hmm. and all of them make sense. And she is so good in this scene. I, I, I honestly, honestly just can't heap enough praise on Joey Lauren Adams mm-hmm. in, in this movie. Um, I love everything about this scene. It's so well acted, so well written, and so well done. Uh, I want to just revisit something I said earlier in the podcast about uh, how Kevin Smith is really good about just inserting a beat when uh, when there's a big revelation, a big drop in information, uh, the end of a big monologue or something like that. He's really good at just like having a few seconds of silence Mm -hmm. for the information to set in when Ben Affleck says we've all got to have sex together when he reveals the idea. There is a long pause. It's probably not even that long, but it feels really long. And we cut to a wide angle of the group. And it's just a that idea just sits yep. for about five seconds before he continues and explains why. It's a, it's a small touch, really, really good editing and really good writing. Do you know who edits this movie? I don't think I do. Kevin Smith. That makes sense. Edits his own movies. That honestly shows because in dialogue of this nature where when you look at it on a page, it's just a block. Mm-hmm. It it takes a particular mind or at the very least between a director and, or, and an editor, it would take a lot of communication to insert these sort of pauses. But when you're writing it, directing it, and editing it, it's really easy to just know this is where the silence goes. Yeah. I think Mallrats is the only film of his that he didn't edit. Right. Right. And it's a studio film. That would be why. There you go. Uh, Not great. No one wants to do it. Scene ends one year later. Mm -hmm. Brilliant writing. Brilliant acting. As Lee and Affleck have an entire conversation Mm non-verbally. I I will admit uh, a little bit lost on me. Um, I, I didn't quite make the connection between the the drawing of the fingers oh, to the didn't? having a moment. Oh. No, unfortunately not. Oh, it, it meant the world mm-hmm. to me. Uh, I love it. Uh, it's so great. And then Holden goes over to speak to Alyssa. Mm-hmm. And they have a really great moment together. Again, Adam's killing it. As you can see the emotion in her eyes as she's trying to keep it together because she obviously is still in love with Holden but knows that it it just can't happen and she's trying not to cry and is generally interested in the comic and then when she opens up and sees that it's about them she keeps it together it's a brilliant scene and a great way to end the movie yeah and like I said I think that the en- the ending of the movie is really so crucial to it. I mean, that's true of just about any movie, but really the decision to not go with the Hollywood ending, the decision to not have them wind up together, really just elevates the movie in a whole other way that, uh, that having them wind up together wouldn't have done. It really does a good job of communicating just how 
backward Holden was mm-hmm. and just how immature he was and just on what another level of maturity Alyssa yes. was on from him and how while he viewed the relationship as being um you know her being a slut or her being more experienced and him needing to sort of match that or better himself in some way through some sexual experience she completely did not view it that way and it wound up that disconnect wound up hurting their chances together and she was the only one who really understood that yep uh so the fact that they don't wind up together but you do have this moment of connection at the moment this moment of i think mutual gratitude yes where they they both still have feelings for each other they both still love each other and they're both thankful that they had the experiences that they had together is a really beautiful and really touching ending and i'm i'm happy i'm happy that it ended the way it did i agree wholeheartedly Mm mm-hmm that's chasing Amy. That's it. Fucking great movie. <laughs> uh, I got. A, I only have a little bit of trivia, like I mentioned uh, prior to recording. Mm-hmm. Um, Kevin Smith wrote the script inspired by his experience with his then girlfriend Joy Lauren Adams. Hmm, that name's familiar. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they obviously they met on the set of Mallrats and started dating. And Kevin Smith's been upfront that chasing Amy is based on his relationship with Joy Lauren, not to the quite same extent, but he had. And there's a, a really great <clears throat> uh, documentary on Chasing Amy that I watched mm-hmm. that's on that's on the Blu-ray that both Joey and Kevin talk about how this film is based on their relationship. And they talk about what inspired this story. Mm-hmm. Um, same with um, Scott Mosier, the producer. Uh, it's a combination because... Um, do you remember... Uh, in the scene in the club where Alyssa sings, there's a, a woman that introduces her, mm-hmm. like calls her up on stage. Yeah. She is, I think she's a producer or a filmmaker herself. She is a lesbian mm-hmm. and had met Kevin uh, Kevin and Scott on the festival circuit. And Scott had developed a, a little bit of, they had become friends and Scott had developed a little crush on her. Nothing ever happened, yeah. but that's kind of like the seed of, of the idea of chasing Amy is that a straight man fell in love with a, a, a lesbian mm-hmm. and uh, and then Kevin Smith's insecurities with some of Joy Lauren Adams' past ends up wrecking their relationship so he ties it all together so that's where this movie comes from. Perfect. Um, this film was reportedly just two votes away from an Academy Award nomination for Best Original Screenplay. Oh, that's too bad. That's, I mean, we'll, we'll get there. But- yeah. I think I'd speak for both of us when I say that's not a surprise. Uh, this was a very famous person, a very famous person's favorite film of 1997. Very famous person's favorite film. Of 97. Yeah. Am I going to guess it? Yes. He is a filmmaker that you and I both love. Tarantino. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Um, Joey Lauren Adams wrote the song that she sings. Nice. It was originally a country song, but Smith requested it that they pump it up a bit. Right on. Uh, according to Kevin Smith in 2006, Jason Mewes was high on cocaine when they filmed his soul scene in the movie. Right. Yes. That's everything. Wow. Um, I do have some casting what ifs. So I'm going to tell this whole story. I'm just going to read this whole blurb and I'll give you an idea. Uh, when Kevin Smith pitched the idea to Miramax, he said that he had written the parts with his friends Ben Affleck, Jason Lee, and Joey Lauren Adams in mind. This is all true. Miramax, however, wanted to cast people who already had celebrity status. These were the people they wanted in the roles. Are oh, you ready? No, you're laughing. John Stewart, 
David Schwimmer, and Drew Barrymore. Is there a more 90s cast you could have thrown in there? Yes. My God. Don't. I like Friends. <laughs> David Schwimmer would have been fucking disastrous. Yes. I like Jon Stewart. I don't believe he would have been very good. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> At least not as good as Ben Affleck. I agree. Uh, the film's original budget was $3 million, uh, but that depended on Miramax's support. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, Smith suggested that he would make the movie with his three original actors on his own, and Miramax could buy it for <coughs> sorry for distribution if they liked it. Miramax owners Bob and those who now be named Boo. Boo Harvey Weinstein liked this idea and gave him two hundred and fifty thousand dollars to make the movie. So he's like. I'll make if you give me two hundred fifty thousand dollars, I can make the movie I want. And they're like, sure, that's nothing. And yeah. then they end up making twelve million off of it, so it was a good investment. Hmm. And so that's the only casting what ifs. Yeah. Uh, favorite quote: I have ten, which we have set our limits at. Mm-hmm. How many do you have? Uh, only six, but I I'm missing a ton, and I didn't include any monologues. I didn't include any monologues either. I I want to try and stay away from them because the monologues are so good, but they're so long I didn't want to read them all. <clears throat> so my first one is from Silent Bob. So I've spent every day since then chasing Amy, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Number two is from Banky. What's a Nubian? Number three is from Silent Bob. Bitch, well you don't know about me. I can just about squeeze in the Grand Fucking Canyon. Did you know I always wanted to be a dancer in Vegas? <laughs> Manny did the jazz hands. Yep. For those listening, uh, Holden. Well. Can I at least tell people all you needed was some serious deep dicking? <laughs> yeah, I laughed at that one. Uh, number five is Alyssa. I love you. I always will know that. But I'm not your fucking whore. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Mic drop moment. Yep. And number six is from Banky. You gotta handle it like CNN and the Weather Channel. Constant updates. <laughs> Ain't that true. Number seven is Banky again. All every woman really wants, be it mother, senator, nun... Is some serious deep dicking. Yep. Number eight is from Jay. Yo, look at this morose motherfucker here. Smells like somebody's shit in his cereal. Bung. <laughs> Number nine is from Banky. Now that, my friend, is a shared moment. Ooh, and Manny, again, with the hand gestures. I love it. And number ten is from Hooper. Men need to believe that they're Marco fucking Polo when it comes to sex. Yeah, fuck, that's a good collection of quotes right there. I'm actually just realizing... Uh, I had to move some stuff around. I really only have four. Oh, nice. Um, but I've, I've, there's a ton more. I could have had so many more. But as far as the ones I wrote down uh, and remembered, uh, here, here's them. So for you, to fuck is to penetrate. You're used to the more traditional definition. You inside some girl you do jackhammering away, not noticing that bored look in her eyes. And Banky's response, hey, I always notice the bored look in her eyes. <laughs> Um, number two is also from Banky. I can't even remember really the context of their conversation, but he's talking to Holden and he says, how does one man get to be so funny? (laughs) (laughs) Um, number three is from Alyssa when she's screaming at Holden in the rain. I am gay. That's who I am. And you think I can turn that around because of a fucking crush? Well done. And number four is Hooper. That boy loves you in a way he ain't ready to deal with. I love that quote. That's it. I, I was trying to find the exact one, and I realized I had it written down. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, my favorite quote is because it sets things up 
both for comedic and a heartfelt moment is now that my friend is a shared moment yeah beautiful um for me it's gonna be that boy loves you in a way he ain't ready to deal with just i am in awe of hooper's wisdom in this moment i love that pick i love that pick well done uh favorite scene i have five okay. uh i have Alyssa and banky comparing scars i have the comic-con panel at the beginning nice. with the what's a nubian the parking lot fight holden banky and Alyssa's talk and the ending itself yeah oh man again so many good ones uh here i did manage to have six okay uh these i usually have this in chronological order but i was so uh stream of consciousness and i was taking my notes there out um <laughs> silent bob chasing amy's story uh yelling in the rain uh when she says that line i just said yep um the we need to have sex together <laughs> scene yeah uh, the Coey London uh, finger cuffs explanation. <laughs> uh, the yelling match outside the arena. Yep. And uh, Hooper and Holden in the comic shop. Nice. Or sorry, I have comic shop written down, but you pointed out it's a CD shop. It is a CD shop. Yeah. Uh, my pick is the Comic Con panel at the beginning. The what's a Nubian? And isn't that true? Fuck. That's that's my pick. Yeah, that's a good pick. Um. God, you know what? I'm going to go with uh, Hooper and Holden in the C- CD shop. Even though I keep just quoting that one line, he has so many fucking yes. gems in that scene. It's, it was my favorite scene in the movie. I love it. Uh, are there any Oscar-worthy performances in this? Or closing credits. Are oh. there any Oscar-worthy performances in this film? Um, I don't have the nominees in front of me. I suspect that you do. I do. Uh, I think both of our first instinct would take us to Joy Lord and Adams. Yes. Uh, how is she looking? Okay. She's going to be the lead, I imagine. Oh, yeah, she's the lead. Yeah. yeah, 100% she's the lead. So, this is actually one of the few times that we've done an Oscar retrospective on this year. Oh, true, yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, the problem is, is you'd only seen two of the five nominees. Yeah, that makes sense. I'd only seen three. Okay. Now, the five nominees are Helen Hunt for As Good As It Gets, who won, uh, Helena Bonham Carter for The Wings of a Dove, Julie Christie for Afterglow, Judy Dench for Mrs. Brown, and Kate Winslet for Titanic. So, I know you're not taking out Helen Hunt or Kate Winslet, but I can tell you right now, I would have no problem putting Joey Lauren Adams into this category. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen uh, Julie Christie in Afterglow and Helen Bonham Carter in The Wings of the Dove. I know I've seen Mrs. Brown, but I saw it that year. Yes, I remember yes. nothing. Yeah. But it is Judy Dench. So I'd have to assume it's probably pretty fucking Give good. Give her the benefit of the doubt. But after rewatching this several times, I have zero problems putting Joy Lauren Adams in Best Actress. Sweet. I, I like the pick. Perfect. Um, I don't think anyone else for me. I really like Jason Lee's performance again. Uh, best leading actor that year, though. Uh, Jack Nicholson, as good as it gets. <laughs> Matt Damon. Uh, oh, sorry. He would be supporting. Pardon me. Robin cool. Williams. Good. Are role. you talking about Jason Lee? Yeah, you... I think I think I said Jason Lee. Yeah. Okay. Jason Lee's performance in the movie, supporting. Supporting. Is who I want to explore. Yes. Robin Williams, Good Will Hunting, uh, Robert Forster in Jackie Brown, Anthony Hopkins in Amistad, Greg Kinnear in As Good As It Gets, Burt Reynolds, Boogie Nights. I've seen four of these. I just haven't seen Amistad. I could take out Greg Kinnear and put Jason Lee in. Didn't we like Greg? I remember really liking Greg Kinnear. We did. Yeah. I don't know. It'd be close. I, I really can't fault you for doing it. It's a, it's a great performance. Um, 
good for some laughs and some really great reaction shots. I don't I don't know if it's up there, but I respect your pick. Okay. Uh, Affleck for lead. N- no for me. No? I don't think so. He's I think he's the third best performance in the movie. Okay. Which isn't inherently uh you know, isn't inherently a reason to not nominate him for an Oscar, but it does hurt his case. Okay. I think. All right. Especially, um, I mean, I've only seen, I guess I've only seen two of these, Jack Nicholson and Matt Damon, and he's certainly not better than either of them. I, oh, wholeheartedly. For as good as it gets and Good Will <laughs> Hunting, respectively. What other aspects of the film are award-worthy? There's one Well, and one uh, only. you and I already we sort of alluded to it, but like the screenplay just feels like a really obvious place to start. I can tell you right now, there's one original screenplay that I know that you would happily take out and replace with Chasing Amy. Get the full Monty out of there. I agree. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. I think this screenplay should have been in there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I haven't seen Deconstructing Harry. I don't think you I'm, and I are particularly big Woody Allen guys, though. No. So. Uh, obviously, we can't take out the winner. Nope. Not good. <laughs> and we nope. definitely can't take out Boogie Nights. Nope. I couldn't take out As Good As It Gets. <clears throat> if I had to choose between the screenplay between As Good As It Gets and Chasing Amy, I would have a very hard decision to make. I won't lie. It's my least favorite of the four that I've... So I've seen four of the five. I just haven't seen Deconstructing Harry. If I had to pick one to eliminate, it would be As Good As It Gets, but... You'd, t- you'd take out As Good As It Gets and leave in the full Monty to put Chasing oh, oh, Amy? Oh, sorry. What am I talking about? Yeah, sorry. Okay. I would, I would take out the full Monty for sure if I am if I have my arm twisted to take out a second one for some particular reason. As Good As It Gets is probably the weakest one. Like, if that was the choice, Chasing Amy or As Good As It Gets, eh, it's been a bit since I've seen As Good As It Gets. It's probably like two and a half years now, and I've only seen it once. I remember really liking the screenplay for that movie. You did. Like, quite a bit. You did. Yeah. So yeah. my instinct would be to leave it in. But, yeah. I, yeah, I have no problem taking out the full Monty and putting Chasing Amy in here. Yeah, certainly. No, I, no question there. I think the screenplay is spectacular. Mm-hmm. Every other aspect, not a chance. Mm-hmm. This is not <laughs> a technically well-made movie. Mm-mm. Cinematography is not good. Costuming, sound effects, nothing. It's it's rough. I, uh, it not was in, made on what, 250? 250. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not blaming it. It does not detract from my enjoyment of the film. Oh, no. So, yeah. Um, weak link of the film. I know there's an obvious one, but... Uh, we, we talked about it. It's the jump from Alyssa falling in love. That's true. That's absolutely what it is. Even though the writing is... I mean, the screenplay is worthy of an Oscar nom in our mind. Uh, I mean, Hollywood was just getting its first taste of writing women characters. <laughs> <laughs> At this point. <laughs> writing them to be, you know, as in-depth as the male ones. So, um... While it's understandable, yeah, the the transition that Alyssa makes from platonic love to romantic love is a really quick jump. So it's, it's quite a quick jump and one that's difficult to get past. But I mean, if that's the weakest part of the movie, you know, we're we're doing fine. I can't think of anything else that'd be weak. Yeah, I I like just about everything else. All right. Was this anyone's career highlight? Uh, I can tell you I can't name another Joey Lauren Adams performance. Big Daddy? No. <laughs> uh, I've seen Big Daddy probably once in my life. I think this is her career highlight. Yeah. Um, she has a small role in Days and Confused. Mm-hmm. Um, and but but this is this is her career highlight. Uh, I can tell you <coughs> that of the Jason Lee performances that I've seen, it's my favorite. I think I like this one better than Mallrats. Ooh, I don't know if I can do that. <laughs> uh, this isn't his career highlight though 
he had an well yeah my name is earl my I name guess is earl it, yeah did yeah. you ever watch that show I, I think I watched maybe the first couple episodes. Didn't really seem like my cup of tea. I, I only and I only watched the first couple episodes. Yeah. Because it's Jason Lee, who is a Kevin Smith guy. Mm-hmm. That's the only reason I watched it. Um, obviously it's not Ben Affleck's. Mm, nope. Uh, <laughs> looking at all the names in this movie, like Casey Affleck and Matt Damon, <laughs> just like wow, people went on to do great things. I mean, Kevin Smith had a long career after this. Um, I'm maybe I'll wait till the end to ask if you think that it's his best one. All right. It's, uh, it, yeah. Like, so I'm, far, I'm definitely it, not answering that now. Yeah. hundred percent. Not. I respect that. But, uh, of all the people whose career highlight, it might be Joey Lauren Adams is probably, I don't think might. I think it, it is. I think it is certainly MVP of the film. Um, Kevin Smith. And that feels uh, that's going to be a pattern, probably. <laughs> um, these movies are quite clearly a product of his voice uh, as a creator and as an artist. Um, that will likely be the case in all of the movies that we like in this series, which for you will probably be all of them or nearly all of them. Nearly. Um for all of the movies that I really like, I expect that Kevin Smith will probably be the easy answer simply because he wrote and directed and I've just learned edited these movies. They're so clearly his views laid out on the screen and his masterful storytelling ability, mm-hmm. which we've already talked about numerous times in the previous episodes, his masterful storytelling ability come to life. So I think uh, Chasing Amy is a clear example of that. I think Kevin Smith, even though it's a boring answer, is probably the correct answer. I agree. Uh Joey Lauren Adams would be the the next person. Yeah, so if it wasn't Kevin <coughs> Smith, if for some reason we said I couldn't pick him. Um, oh, gosh. Joey Lauren Adams is the next most obvious answer, but for some reason I keep wanting to go to... Uh, no, Dwight Ewell, I can't say, but he's my favorite character. <coughs> in the, I love him in this movie. Awesome. He's, he's a lot of fun. Awesome. So, yeah, probably uh, Kevin Smith and then Joey Lauren Adams. Uh, what will be this film's legacy? I, I think that's difficult to answer without having seen the entire Viewisk universe, but uh, right. up until this point, I would say it is a, a movie far before its time as far as the sexual themes contained within it. I like that. Uh, I'm actually going to give a different answer, mm-hmm. only because I know more about the Viewisk universe than you. Fine. And being a Kevin Smith fan... And having lived through this time when they all came out, this film's legacy is the film that saved Kevin Smith Mm. because Mallrats had been such a disaster financially that people were worried that he was a a flash in the pan with clerks. Mm -hmm. And while Mallrats caught on with home video, it hadn't caught on to the a huge extreme yet by the time this movie came out. So when Chasing Amy came out, it showed people, reminded people, Kevin Smith does know how to make a good movie. Mm -hmm. And so this is the movie that kind of saved his career. That's this film's legacy. Yeah, sure. I love that answer. Would you watch this movie again? Yeah. Yeah, this was great. Yeah, same here. Uh, Would you recommend this movie to friends? Yes, actually. I think this is, like I've said a couple of times, it's uh, quite before its time. I would definitely recommend this movie to friends. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you have. Sam, your final thoughts on Chasing Amy? 
Oh, this could have been bad. <laughs> this this could have been an unenjoyable experience, and uh, I'm glad that it wasn't. Uh, this is, uh, to this point in Kevin Smith's career, it's his most mature film yet. Uh, he really has shown another gear in this movie that he didn't show in Clerks and Mallrats. Clerks and Mallrats uh, are both silly and fun, and a large chunk of the appeal comes from that we just hadn't seen people talk like everyday people about everyday things just yet in film not to this degree not this extensively chasing amy really shows another gear of script writing in particular that kevin smith is capable of he's capable of writing with substance and writing deep emotional characters we'd seen glimpses of that uh with uh a couple of different characters randall in particular comes to or sorry not randall uh, dante comes to mind veronica yeah veronica as well he had he had had some really well-developed characters but i think the characters that he creates in this movie are his finest work so far um as far as uh, depth of emotion depth of desire and uh, complexity he's really coming into his own as a writer as of this movie um it's well before its time I think this is one that stands up incredibly well if you can get past some of the homophobic things that are said by characters which are not condoned but are present. Um, then I, if you can get by that, then you're going to have a great time with Chasing Amy. Chasing Amy is a film I love. I grew up with it. I love it. I quote it. I still laugh at all the right times. I have a deep connection to this movie, again, because of its... Um, both if it's depiction of male friendship and uh, its depiction of uh, being a queer ally, which rings close to home, like I said, to both Sam and I. For sure. And he articulated perfectly, if you can get past the homophobia by a character that needs to be shown mm -hmm. to get his story across correctly, uh, if you can just live with some of the things he says accept them that this character is saying them because he is confused and unsure of his place in the world mm -hmm. then i think you'll have a good time with this movie but if some of the things said in this movie are triggering and upset you i completely understand and respect that mm. um i love this movie i think it's one of kevin's best films I agree wholeheartedly. He wrote some truly deep, complex characters that are totally enjoyable to see on screen, as well as some of his funniest moments uh, on film mm -hmm. are all in this movie. It's incredibly well-crafted, and it really shows that if you have a good script, you don't need a lot of money to make a good movie. This movie was made for the catering budget of Armageddon. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, I love this film, and uh, I'm so glad we got a chance to talk about it. It is time to rate Chasing Amy. Sam, what have you got for me? Uh, this, I don't think I've had a tough decision with Kevin Smith movies yet. Uh, this was a pretty conclusive four. This, uh, this was, I, it was a great time. Um, I don't think it was close to a flawless movie and it didn't quite reach that level of emotional attachment that i think i need for a five 
but I, I enjoyed the hell out of it, and I'll definitely rewatch. So I'm, a lot of fun. It's a four. Awesome. This is a five for me. Yeah, I already have that written down. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No shock yeah. at all. It's a it's an easy five for me. Sam, what's going on next week? Well, much like Maya, Kevin Smith will be taking a hiatus next week. What? Yeah. Uh, and we're gonna be talking about uh, the newest Marvel movie, as as we always do. So uh, Shang Chi coming out next week. And, or coming out, I guess, uh, is it Thursday? Tonight. Coming out tonight. Yeah, we're recording <laughs> on a Thursday. Coming out tonight. So uh, next week, we'll be talking about Shang-Chi. Uh, I guess I got to figure out when the hell I'm going to go see this thing. How are you uh, feeling? Have you watched a trailer for this? I haven't. No, I, I haven't. Sadly, I got stuck with a trailer because I was at the movie theater. Mm-hmm. Didn't seem to reveal too much. What are your thoughts? I'm very curious. I, I know nothing about this property. Okay. I know nothing about this character, about the story. Um, I, I'm happy that I've managed to go in blind so far. I'm going to knock on wood after having said that. I think I've avoided all trailers, all spoilers, all reviews. Well, you're going to be, to you're gonna be po- good to because there's obviously you're going to watch it with, at least once within the next four or five days. Mm-hmm. I don't see how you'll be able to uh, – you, you can't get saddled with the trailer because yeah. you're not going to be going – if you go to the movies, it's going to go to see this. Mm-hmm. So – I think you're. I think you're in the home. You're in the home stretch. Okay, cool. I'm just curious because I'm. I'm super nervous. Yeah. Yeah. You're worried it's gonna be bad. No, I'm not worried it's gonna be bad. I'm just complete. I have, Shang Chi is so low, on the, character list in, comic books. Mm. Like he never had a super popular title. He's never been a major player in any major book that i've collected he's i don't think he ever showed up in any x-men comics that i collected i don't remember him being a major player so for them to introduce him into the mcu means they have some very interesting ideas going forward now i'm not naive enough to see to not know that they are going for an asian market they have an asian superhero and they are going for I'm not going to fault them they're going for some diversity power to them that's great I'm sure a lot of Asian Americans and Asian Canadians are very excited to see themselves represented on the screen with a superhero awesome but there it is (laughs) but Disney is doing it to both look good and to make money the only thing I'm nervous about, and I, I guess I, I, this is the first time I'm nervous because I, I, I just don't, I don't, I, I'm so curious as to how this is going to play out. I'm just curious. I'm just curious. Uh, if I may sort of, uh, you seem to be at a loss for words. It seems like your hesitation about the movie comes from you do not to this point see an authentic reason for this movie existing as far as its contributions to the MCU. Yes. Like, and I, I, I want to back you up on what you're saying right now, because it's real. it's a, it's a tough thing to talk about because the last thing we would want to do is, uh, you know, imply that, uh, like Asian Americans or people of Asian descent don't deserve to be represented on the screen. And the the last thing either of us would want to imply, but like, if you look at this is I think a great counterexample Space Jam 2 just being released um I know you don't follow basketball but have you followed any of LeBron James comments about no. um 
within the last year, he has ardently defended the current uh, Chinese Communist Party uh, and has uh, has come out in favor. Like he's come out against um, the the coach of the Houston Rockets, maybe former coach. I'm not sure. Daryl Morey uh, made comments about how he's concerned about the NBA pandering to Chinese markets because of his human rights concerns over there. And LeBron James came out with the statement that Daryl Morey needs to educate himself on what's actually going on in China. Oh my God. And it's like, like, let's not delude ourselves about just how much money as it is at stake grabbing at the Chinese market. Yes. Like China in particular has, it's got to be approaching 2 billion people at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so like it, this is legitimately, this, I think this is a legitimate concern um, to say that there might be something other than artistic integrity at play trying to revive this property from the dead. Not that every Marvel movie to date hasn't been a cash grab in some form. That that's that's what and that's what that's what movies are. <laughs> yes, I'm I'm sure like while it is an art form that Sam and I love and adore, yeah. it is a business. Yeah, hundred percent. And so I understand it. I guess I'm just I'm just I'm just worried. Yeah. But and we wouldn't want to imply that people making money from their art can't have integrity to it or anything like that. Yes. But, like, I think there are legitimate concerns here. Yes. Yeah. But I, I guess, like, I don't know. I, I guess my my concern is just this Shang-Chi char- character is so low-rung in the comic world. Mm-hmm. I'm really I'm nervous and yet excited to see how they're going to incorporate him into the MCU mm-hmm. because... Kevin Feige's a fucking genius. <laughs> so, yeah. I'm not I don't think I'm worried that the movie's going to be bad. I'm just worried about will it feel shoehorned in. Mm-hmm. That's I guess my concern. Yeah, is it going to be The Incredible Hulk V2? I guess would yeah. be the question. Like I don't is, know. It, is it going to be like a, a bastard child movie as far as like connection to the MCU? Tune in next week. I guess. And find out. Find out as we eat crow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, watch this movie be a fucking masterpiece. Yeah. Just just so we come off like massive fucking morons. Yes. Wouldn't be the first time. I I'm I want that. Yeah. Please. Please prove us wrong. Please. I hope we can sit here next week and go, Well, it turns out we're fucking stupid. Yeah. <laughs> this movie's awesome. But if if it turns out that we love this movie next week, can you start next week's episode after you introduce us while we're fucking stupid? I, I'll go on record right now as saying that if if the, if the movie <laughs> is... Oh, I'll have to decide what the bar is for, for being great. But, yeah, if, if I feel strongly enough about it, we can, we can start the podcast that way for sure. All right. <laughs> well, I forgot to do it at the top of the episode, so I better do quick social media. For sure. If you could remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes, give us a five-star rating and a positive review. It does increase the profile of our podcast, allows more people to find us, which we would truly love. We do appreciate all the listeners we have right now. If you have any questions or anything you'd like to talk about or you have any input on our episodes, you can <clears throat> email us at uh, sammanymoviepodcast at gmail.com or you can uh, send us a DM on Instagram and Twitter at sam underscore manny underscore movie. We'd love to hear from you. And yeah, I think that's it. You can follow us on Facebook at the Samuel Manuel Movie Podcast. It's getting late. It's time to go for the Samuel Manuel Movie Podcast. I'm Manny Manuel. You see that man right there? He's the devil. I'm Sam Reimer. Adios.